and goodbye. So long until next time. Thank you, Jim Beats and Brandon Peters. Glad you could both be here for this commentary track for Memento. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been great. I love this movie. Oh, totally, dude. It's a classic. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now there on Abe at iTunes or on Audioboom and everywhere else, of course. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outnow underscore podcast and Facebook.com slash Outnow podcast. You can find me at ColtsonMcCavalcade.com, which we have episodes every other week. We're going to go on a binge of a couple episodes in a row, though. Uh, our next one should be our live from PopCon uh, episode where we recorded a live episode of Terror Squad, a 1987 film. Uh, filmed in Kokomo, Indiana, starring Chuck Connors. Ooh, the mighty Chuck Connors of Tourist Trap fame. Hmm. Uh, HHWLOD.com is the home for the Walking Dead TV podcast and the DC TV podcast. And TaylorNetworkerPodcast.com is the home for the Nothing's On podcast and the Paradigm Shift podcast. And I'm a part of all those. You can find more of me over on thecodeaz.com. You can find me on whysoblue.com, writing all my movie reviews every week. And you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. So that's going to do it for this Memento commentary. So everyone that's following along who knew how this would work, we had the film synced up to our voices, and we paused it about five seconds in. Everyone else could just listen along, of course, but those with the movie ready to go, you just had to hear us count down from three, and then all of us would press play. So with that, you guys ready? Yes. See you. All right. Three, two, one, go. So where was I? <laughs> Um, Hello, I must be going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is Nolan's second movie. Second movie. Are you guys a fan of Following? Have you seen Following? Yes. After yes. Memento, I saw at my video store they had a VHS or a DVD of Following, and I and I said from you know like from Memento director of Memento all over it, and I had to see it, and I rented that, and it just impressed me even more with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, it was on Netflix for a while, and yeah. that's when I caught it. That's when I caught it. Yeah, I got the Criterion edition, so you know the crappy movie looks better than it ever would. <laughs> but, um, yes, yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's it's neat to see him use that. I mean, obviously, I think all of us saw that after you know after we saw Memento, but you know, seeing right. seeing the same a similar conceit used as far as the editing style, it's great to see like Nolan, who's not a film school graduate, or whatever. He he just kind of learned from watching. <laughs> And kind of sl- sl- did some short films, um, one called Doodlebug, which is on the following criterion. Um, he's you know kind of edged into it, and then he made following like very cheap. Uh, so did guerrilla filmmaking, just shot on the streets of London for some scenes without permission, um, and and like shot and edited the film himself, that kind of thing. Or I don't think he edited; he shot it himself. I don't think he edited it himself, um, and you know wrote it himself, cast his friends in it, uh, shot in his friends' houses, that kind of thing, and you know. That's a that's a good calling card movie, and then he makes Memento, gets a you know a bigger cast, gets real producers involved, gets set you know stuff going, and it's like this movie is fantastic. <laughs> it does yeah. it does so much well with you know a noir construct mixed with like his own kind of idiosyncrasies and whatnot that we've seen repeated in other Nolan films since. Like it's, it's just wonderful. And uh, if, I don't know, even the movie after this, Insomnia is kind of, I don't know, kind of the redheaded stepchild of the Nolan Overure or whatever, like a lot of people haven't seen it, but it's a very tight film. It's very great, uh, especially for, you know, not being, as you said, a film school graduate or a trained in any way, you know, just really being very conscious of where the camera is, how it moves. Uh, and in this movie, too, especially, I mean, you, you see in the color in the color uh, sequences here, like in the very opening, 
you know, the camera has some distance from Guy Pierce. You know, it's not it's not tied in as it is with the black and white sequence here. You know, with the voiceovers, it just it very. I mean, they're very set apart from each other. Um, I got to watch a uh, film earlier today because I knew we'd be watching this tonight of Christopher Nolan kind of explaining the structure of Memento, and he drew like he drew like a hairpin on the uh, chalkboard. And one and one line of the hairpin was color, and one was black and white. And they drew vertical lines, cutting them, uh, and that was like the best way he could describe it as far as a visual. You know? Yeah, and it this is a this is like a film that I don't think they did test screening, but this is a film I definitely want to read the notes for the test screenings for Memento. Mm, right. <laughs> I, I, because you know there'd be like the set of audience that get it, but the ones that don't. But with this film, what I love about it is it it's the kind of movie that trains you for how to watch it, if you know what I mean. I think yeah. there have been shows since, like TV shows in this kind of peak TV era that have sort of played similarly to it. It's something, something like Mr. Robot comes to mind or Legion comes to mind mm-hmm. where they you know they kind of throw you in and they gradually increase the kind of weirdness and editing patterns and ideas that are going on to kind of get you to the rhythm before you get to kind of the later half of the seasons of those shows and you're really kind of all in at that point but because you've watched it so carefully or at least the shows kind of gradually showed you how it's kind of playing you get the rhythm of that show and that's what this movie does like you get you it introduces you right away to a backwards thing, so you're already like, well, that was weird. Then it flashes you back to some black, and you're like, like, what is this going on? Then you're back here again, and as it goes along, you get you get into why it's happening, and no one, it, it's, it's very clever. It's very clever how it does it. And, well, and, I mean, it not yeah. only compounds the whole unreliable narrative thing with the chronological thing, and it's like, it's, like, it's like a chocolate and peanut butter situation. They play really well into one another. And like you said, it did really pave the way for some of the stuff like Mr. Robot with an unreliable narrator mm-hmm. or Legion showing things out of sequence, things like that. I mean, it really, I could definitely see that influence for sure. Did you guys ever, the it, it was released a second time on DVD with a, a special two-disc edition, yep. which was considered the most confusing DVD menus of all time because you had to take tests in certain orders with certain answers. And, I mean, you had to go online and get a key. I mean, there's no way you could figure it out on your own. But uh, the one of the biggest bonuses was that you could watch the film in chronological order. And that's an entertaining watch as well. Like, I should I should note that following actually you can play that linearly as well as one of the special features on the Criterion. Okay. Oh, that is right. Yes, because yeah. um, Memento when it goes chronological, which I'll never know because I only watched it this way first, and I would recommend everybody watch it as it was intended. But the chronological one has its own kind of feel and a different sense of uh, suspense uh, to it because you're kind of wondering like since you know something right off the bat you look at scenes a lot differently like he's got the body in his trunk this whole time and you wonder like because he and he starts going into the like den of the lion and you're like uh they gotta figure this out you're 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 complicit you're complicit with everything the whole time because you've seen lenny from the start like basically after the first like if you watch chronologically, the first 20 minutes give you to like this situation where he's just killed a guy and then he's purposely made himself on the track of getting Teddy Joe pants where we are right now. And so like you're watching the movie, basically following Leonard, knowing that he's doing something on purpose wrong, even though he's, his mind is messed up. So he doesn't quite know what he's doing. And 
I think that actually connects to Jim, what you mentioned, Insomnia. Insomnia is a film where they basically solve the murder mystery about half an hour in because mm-hmm. you know Robin Williams is in the movie. You know he's the killer because that's the trailers have told you this at this point. And so you're really you're following a different plot involving Pacino trying to cover his own ass based off a mistake he mm-hmm. made. And so right. it's, it's very similar that way where you're watching like if you watch Memento Forward, it's it leads to what Insomnia is where because that movie doesn't you know do any kind of. Uh, linear uh, narrative tricks as far as its editing style it's a straightforward movie it just it's more of a character study much like this movie is it's just the narrative conceit of it or the editing conceit of it makes it you know both intriguing from a structural standpoint as well as a story and character standpoint but yeah watching well, it forward i have only done it once and i was like that's neat i like it's a neat way to mm-hmm. watch it but like every, every time i watch it this way you know the right way or you know well, this is the way, way i want to watch it but oh, it's yeah. a great a great new uh aspect of it because i mean it, it, the humor in it comes from uh like joey pants in the film is constantly asking him for the keys to the car he's joey pants is trying to ditch mm-hmm. leonard and get out of town this whole movie which you don't really see that in the intended version but you really get a sense of it when you watch it in chronological order it's like oh he's done with him and he's just trying to get out of town take that jaguar take the money and go and ditch leonard and let him get caught in town it's interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, there's it's interesting. Very, oh, sorry, I was sorry, just going to say, it's interesting to watch a movie with Teddy the whole time where you it's Joe Pants and just the way he's performing the character is so, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's so, you just, you love watching him because that's the kind of ability Joe Pants has. Uh, but yeah. the, you, the whole movie is based off you knowing that he gets his head blown off in the first scene. And so it's kind right. of, it's tragic, even though he's, you know, not a good, he's not a good, he's not a terrible person necessarily. I don't necessarily know that Teddy's, you know, a murderer. I know he's kind of sleazy, but I don't think he's. You know, a, I don't a, think a terrible started guy. out as a terrible person. Yeah, I think it's more think, of yeah. it's, it's more of a he's the kind of guy who's not necessarily a dirty cop, but he's the kind of guy that can maybe take a few of the shortcuts if necessary. And with this whole situation presented to him, it's like, well, I can make a few bucks out of this. And he does kind of, you know, he does get a guy killed in the process, but he's a drug dealer, so it's like, oh, some gray areas. Yeah, there's here. a scene. There's a scene early on where they uh, they drive off together to the abandoned house. And like you said, Brandon, he's trying to Joey Pants is trying to use the wrong car or whatever, mm-hmm. and they try to get away from me. It's like, and you know, and uh, Lenny's like, "What are you doing?" And it's just one of those little scenes that you play off early on, and you're like, "What does that mean?" And then later, like you said, it comes together. He's trying to get the hell away from it. You don't get that motivation at all in the early part of it. It's just well, you know, again, this is a movie that really rewards like uh, rewatching and watching and just like you know, subtext and text, and uh, I don't know. Well, something like watching Mark Boone Jr. He's a he's he's a great character actor here, and like it's watching this, you know, I, I don't know how many times he's Memento, but every time I watch it, it's just like you have to think about all the dimensions he's playing, even in this small role where he he's encountered Leonard who knows how many times. And that's something that's cool about the noir conceit of this film. There's there's a kind of ambiguous vibe to all of the time that goes on that's passing he could be checked you know i mean we know he's checked into at least two rooms it could be checked into a bunch of rooms we don't know how long he's been around here yeah but like the way you're seeing boone jr play this where he's looking at this guy who he's seen plenty of times he's had plenty of conversations with you can watch every tick at his face and see him like kind of processing the fact that he's doing this again with this guy and it's neat to think about this actor considering all of that dimension to it right yeah, this I mean this film has a fantastic cast mm-hmm. of, of people that weren't uh, like you know people that were supposed to take off and be a, kind of be a list. Well, Joey Pants is always a character actor, but you know like Carrie Ann Moss, 
Carrie Moss is the only one that's really and yeah, Carrie Moss is the one that didn't really go anywhere from this. Or like she's certainly been she's certainly still acting. She's been involved in a lot of projects. I mean, besides besides, I I have to say I'm uh, I'm I'm glad I'm sorry. I I mean, yes, Guy Pierce is obviously he's not. I mean, Guy, but Guy Pierce has been in stuff, and he's a guy that people recognize as far as like, wow, that's that, that's Guy Pierce. He's a good actor in general. I know him from this or that role. Carrie Ann Moss, it's you know, The Matrix. Like that's what you know her from. Which is not a terrible calling card, but I mean, it's not like she's, she's not been a part of like giant movies in the same way. Like Pierce was the villain in Iron Man three. Like he's still around. Yeah, like true. he's doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like Carrie yeah. Ann Moss, it's like. It's this stuff, and then a lot of TV. Like, TV's, I mean, now she's, what, she's in well, the, the MCU, a Netflix show. It's like, that's her big thing now. We got, we got, you got uh, uh, a woman who I'm a big fan of, Georgia Fox, from CSI. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as as Lenny's wife. And, uh, yeah, and as Lenny's wife. And Thomas Lennon is in this yeah. movie, too. He repri- like all he, over the place. He reprises his role in The Dark Knight Rises as Doctor. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly correct. And Steven Toblowski. Steven Toblowski is fa- and and the the actress that plays his wife. I don't know her name offhand. Um, but the actress that plays his wife. It's it's very it's a very that's a very touching set of set of performances. Harriet but no, Sanson Nolan's always cold. You can't get emotion. <laughs> Nolan's always cold. It's Harry- also another uh, collaboration with his brother too. I mean, he, he told yeah. the story in, uh, in the doc I watched. You know, he his brother had like basically told him the idea of the short story when they were on a co- cross country drive from Chicago to L.A. together. Like one of their first times, like driving across America together or whatever. Then when they got to LA, uh, they broke off, and his brother wrote the short story from the idea, and he wrote the screenplay from the idea. Yeah, interesting thing. This movie got nominated for best original screenplay, which I understand is because the short story wasn't published before the film came out. But no, that you know, it just shows you, I think, how much time has changed. In only what seventeen years since the movie came out, it feels like that wouldn't fly today. It feels like there'd be some uh, kind of technicality yeah. that would make this an adapted screenplay, or just get it disqualified altogether. Or right. Nonsense like that. <laughs> There'd be a different, or different credit, like I, uh, you know, story by or yeah, you know, Guy, idea Guy by. Pierce should have been nominated for this. I really think. Yeah, Guy but... Pierce is. I mean, we were already talking about the cast, but Guy Pierce, you know, the center of this oh, whole movie is fantastic yeah. in this role. He, oh, this is one of the. I mean, this is like a role of a lifetime for him. I mean, this is really what. I, for me, anyway, it made me. I mean, I'd seen him in other things, obviously, but this is what really made me notice him was this movie. Yeah. I mean, well, just, the, LA all, Confidential. Said, he's he's was, the linchpin, you know. But yeah, LA Confidential in this for sure. Um, I I was so like when um Nolan was you know doing Batman Begins, I I was like, oh, get back together with Guy Pierce, he'd make a great mm-hmm. Batman. I had that thought. Yeah. I was like, please, 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 and I I think we ended up okay. But I that was my my golden my pick was like, oh, Guy Pierce. I'm, surpri- I'm surprised Guy Pierce didn't become like one of the Nolan regulars, you know, the guys that pop up yeah, in his films. This. It's like he he's so f he so greatly works in here, but I mean, meanwhile he's you know got Tom Hardy, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, and Morgan Freeman like all on lockdown. Like, what 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 happened with Pierce here? Because <laughs> he's more Pierce in these movies. Well, none of the main players did. Yeah, none I mean, of them did. Yeah, that's actually yeah, it's it's a shame. Like yeah, Carrie Ann Moss could use a bump from getting more Christopher Nolan films in her life. I mean, Corbin Burnson was in the first Wes Anderson film, and I, we're still waiting on that collaboration to come back together. <laughs> all right, here's our first shot of the tattoos, like mm-hmm. all of the tattoos. Another just great, like, conceit. Like, it, it, I, I, there's some, you know, logic building or logic kind of stretching, I guess. I mean, there's obviously so there's some careful research into how this would work and whatnot, but, you know, the the idea of a person covering yourself in tattoos with this it's such a 
iconic way of establishing this character in addition to just like the visual oh yeah i mean he's he's always at some point going to take a shirt or pants off or something to notice hey what's his tattoo he's files he might not even touch to remind himself so i mean that's I would think that, you know, it made sense. It plays with it. It's its own rules. I, now, how fancy some of these are, you know, that it's a movie. Well, I, li- I like the idea that he maybe sometimes goes to tattoo shops or sometimes just does it himself, like Fact 5 Drug yeah. Dealer. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice detail. And I think that's yeah, a, that, so... that complements the emotional duress he might be under, where it's like I mean, he might be he might be sitting in a room paranoid and wants to do the tattoo himself, like these black and white segments where he does the fact five, or he might be feeling in a more confident mood and be like, you know what, I have some money, I'm gonna go to the tattoo shop and get another tattoo on my leg. <laughs> like, just a, it's a great visual metaphor for you know his condition as he refers to it in the movie. <laughs> Um, and it, it looks great. I mean, like you said, they're a bit of a logic leap, but it looks great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's not that bad. But yeah, this whole, I mean, kinda... whole look with his the bleached hair, the ill-fitting suit that just already like seems odd, but also sticks out because it's like this designer suit that's silver with a blue shirt under it. So it's like, well, that's Lenny. There he is. Uh, Leonard, he doesn't like being called Lenny. And, uh, you know, the car, like, all of that stuff. It's just, like, you get the, this character. It's like, I recognize you. I, I know this character from this movie. Through, like, simple designs. And then there are things that have significance as the movie goes on, like you say, like the car and the suit. All these know? photos, these terrible Polaroids that he takes. <laughs> like right. They're not, like, right. they're not good pictures. Like, all of these pictures are terrible pictures. Right. Well, at least they look like terrible pictures. It's not like he does a horrible one and then it doesn't show up i mean they're no yeah it's just like the one of of like um of teddy it's just like oh yeah like squinting weird natalie is like it's she's going out of the room and her head's turned it's like all right you, i guess you got her the... well, well the natalie photo you can't even tell it's carrie ann moss until you, you're like put two and two together because it's just shadowy right. person with their head down oh yeah and you don't and like the movie it has this kind of near episodic feel because like you're like right now we're in the like the 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 Teddy end segment and then we'll get to like the Dodd stuff and then we'll get to the Natalie stuff like it kind of like has its own chapters as far as which character Lenny's dealing with the most right now. Mm-hmm. Abe, you've been here the whole time, right? I've been here the whole time. I don't know why you guys never called on me for anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, had to, he had to leave near the end of the commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This is actually a commentary in reverse. That's why. Right. So it's kind of kind of amazing. Um, Joey Pants did five movies in 1998 and six movies and two TV shows in 1999. Pants was busy, and I watched one of those yeah. shows. <laughs> he was in like every movie that year, pretty much. Yeah, him. Like one this those... is this was that that great 90s period where you have like Joe Pants, Steve Buscemi, and William H Macy and Philip Seymour Hoffman popping up in like everything. Right. R.P. William H. Macy or Philip Seymour Hoffman. Don't call out William H. Macy. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> so now we're introduced to Carrie Ann Moss's character. Mm. God beat the shit out of me. Who's like beat up? Yeah, like she's. <laughs> and like all the wounds are, you can tell they're like on her. They're fresh, so you know that's like, well, this is gonna. We're gonna figure this out at some point. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say they're real, so you know she like. Yeah, you, you can tell Christopher Nolan really beat her up uh, towards the end. <laughs> well, of the I end. mean, he's got two nail scratches in his face, and she's beat up. 
So you get like this, in addition to the t- tattoos, you get this timeline of just the wounds people are sustaining during this movie. Yeah. You get a, a scene of her uh, getting beaten up by the waitress. Well, it's it's funny. She, Carrie Ann Moss may be the the best a- aspect of a rewatch in her performance to watch again because when you watch it the first time, you t- you take it a certain way, but once you know the whole, uh, you know, drive behind her, she's a completely different character on the second watch. Or if you watch it in chronological order, it's a, she gives it an amazing performance. Well, there's. I agree, and there's there's two things going on with her that I think I really that I think that I really enjoy. One is that she's a femme fatale. I mean, this movie's a neo noir, and she's the femme fatale character. Oh yeah, and but so she I, gets to be both. If she, you yeah, think about yeah, it, no, yeah, yeah, I, I know she gets to be both. And the other the other thing is that the the her character is is grieving. I mean, that's what we're really kind of going through in in this part of it. I mean, as she kind of, which I mean, we're playing this backwards. So like, as you slow as you and her slowly realize what's happened. Like that means that the playing this movie forward means that she's going through the grief process. There's some revenge in there and what have you, but it's, it, I mean, it, it has a, for a character that's kind of nothing. If you kind of look at the, what characteristics we really know about Natalie, um, right. the, the actual acts that she's going through basically are reflecting her grief of the fact that she lost her boyfriend and this guy's here wearing his clothes. And it's like, what's happening? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand this, but you know what? I have to get myself out of a different situation involving, you know, whatever other drug dealers in this case, Dodd and whoever else is going to come after me. So I'm going to get this memory guy who did something to my boyfriend to get all involved in that. So I can just deal with this on my own. Well, she's after Teddy, not, well, she's not, yeah, she's after Teddy as well. She's not after Leonard, but no, she can use Leonard. Yeah, and, yeah. and the fact that Leonard's wearing his clothes, she knows yeah, he's involved Leonard's the in guy some who way. actually did the deed. Yeah, yes. he's the guy that actually pulled the trigger. So, but yeah, she certainly put two and two together as far as yeah, this Teddy person that she met maybe once was involved in some way because he was asking questions about stuff, and then Memory Man comes in here and it's like, what's <laughs> what's, what's happening? What's going on? I like I like this scene in particular because it's a flashback inside of a reverse of a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, if I, I was like, oh, Georgia Fox, I know who she yeah, is. And I then it's like, Georgia oh, Fox. she doesn't even talk. No. She talks. She's got one scene. She she's talks about the book and Leonard being a dick to her about it. <laughs> like, that's her one scene to talk. Right. And she says, ouch, when he either pinches her or hits her with the insulin shot. And this movie is, it's funny how huge this movie feels in terms of, like, dramatics, characters, you know, just everything about it. But it's it's a really small, contained film shooting wise it is it's a it's a noir like you only have a couple sets to work with you like there's a lot to admire i think in how nolan's both bringing his style mixed with what you know if you play it forwards especially you know it's basically just like a 30s noir movie that happens to have this you know memory conceit going on with it but like looking at the look of this film what's neat is as a noir it's all at like it's mostly a daytime like there's very little night in this movie so that's already like nolan flipping it up a bit and then when you look at like the the flashback scene, the other flashback scenes of him and like Sammy Jenkins, the way that production design works, you real, I really get echo watching it again the other day. I really got like double indemnity echoes where it yeah, looks like, it, he, he, like Leonard could easily be like Walter Neff, be uh, what's Fred McMurray in that movie. Just like being like, yeah. I'm, just a, I'm just an insurance investigator doing my job. Do to do like, it's just in the way it's like, it's very old fashioned. It has this, right. like, well, the it's, whole it's, design. It's, it has this timeless feel to it. It's got that very much that, um, that like, you know, like uh, the thing with noir, with like uh, the, you know, 
darkness happening in happening in paradise where mm-hmm. yeah. you've got it here where it's in california leonard's actual flashbacks are in these sunny farmland areas which some of the darkest stuff yeah. happened to. and <laughs> then the sam and jacob stuff is like an old little leave it to beaver sitcomish vibe right. and that just turns into darkness as well so he's tackling that angle from three different spots and this and the discount this, this in is like yeah it's like the cd uh like west hollywood you know part of la you know it's like this kind of tarantino-esque kind of you really can't put a decade on it you know run down motel and restaurant things like that yeah, I'm, su- uh, I'm surprised there's not like Venetian blinds in this hotel just to really hammer it home. But yeah, it's like this, yeah. ex- <laughs> it's this existential box for Leonard where he's just kind of stuck here talking to someone we don't know. Uh, and it's just like, <laughs> this whole segment is just completely. <laughs> every every Teddy entrance cracks me up, by the way, in this movie. Like... <laughs> I mean, he wants to get run over. Every every single thing he does is so like it's so smarmy, but like entertaining to every degree. It's like he he pops in and just says Lenny, and he knows he hates him saying Lenny, and he emphasizes every aspect of the word Lenny. Like it's it's just it's fantastic. There, also, there, Joe Pants with hair. We didn't talk about that enough, but Joe Pants oh, with yeah. hair. <laughs> oh man, and you know what's funny with this film? Like you just feel. Well, while we're talking about some things that kind of reminded of us, it, it feels like a unique voice right off the bat. It doesn't feel like this is a time in like what oh one where this could have felt like '90s independent film, yeah. still, and and stuff like that, and it just it felt like its own first first time if I make any sense. But like a lot of stuff. No, it does. No, I, feeling... I think. No, I get what you're saying. And I think it's because Nolan and. Uh, cinematographer wally fister who this is his first movie like there's just like they they clearly took up some kind of rapport which carried over to the next few movies for him uh for the both of them and just really got into the vibe of what they're doing here where they're like we've mentioned you know going for the kind of noir aesthetic but also jiving with whatever fincher or fincher what nolan was feeding him and it just it just plays so well it's funny where a lot of people don't like nolan I mean, yeah, he did. He went for Batman, but like he jumps off and becomes a household name filmmaker and stuff. Like, whereas like a, an Aronofsky, who gets a kind of a you know, I'd say similar start is yeah, very similar. It just yeah, yeah. And it it's who, the, was, who was also up for Batman yeah. at that time. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird though to see like this movie is so I don't want to say small, but it's got a very personal scale. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're very up close with every character. You're very like every scene is either a two shot or a close up to close up or you know or a head and shoulder shot. You know what I mean? You're very it's very close and very personal, very character driven. And the insomnia is the same way, very character driven. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But very much more in in tune with uh, the location there, with the Alaskan location. But and then Batman, the style, the the scale just explodes. You know what I mean? It explodes. Mm-hmm. Although, still, although still, people still, still complained say, that it was too closed in. I, I, mean, and, I, I was, but I was about to still, say, I, but it's still. I'm, I was just going to say it's still a small, a smaller story. You know, a personal story, but on, um, but played on a much bigger stage. You know, I yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it's not until Dark Knight where he decides to go epic with things. Like that. Yeah. That's where, like, he's you know he he steps back a couple paces. Like, all right, let's do. Now, that's not to say there aren't character-driven stuff going on in the rest of his films. There is, but like even like Prestige, it still has this kind of comf- you know this this closeness to it as far as what he's doing. He's he's getting into these characters' minds, what have you. Batman's interesting because of the 
I mean, obviously the, the 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 action gets criticized a lot in Batman, and, and Nolan's always argued he took that notes. The, the, he he listened. He did, he did listen. Out, he was fine. And he's all, but he's always argued with Batman Begins. He the idea of the shooting the fight scenes was like he wanted to make it sporadic, like a bat, and so it'd be like all mm. it, it'd be purposely dizzying. Uh, that's I think partially an excuse and partially just a uh, ambition that didn't quite pan out the best way possible. Right. And that that said. Batman Begins has some really cool action stuff in it. I would say I think the oh, some, yeah. of, oh, some yeah. of it's great. a little, a little iffy, scene, but there. Are, I mean, I yeah. I really like that tumbler chase. Like that 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 tumbler yeah. chase was the reason I was like, you know, because seeing the initial design of it's like well, that looks yeah. clum- that yeah. looks clumsy as fuck. But then like they, they showed an action like oh this thing's awesome. I love this. This is this, yeah. is, this is a great idea for a Batmobile. Thank you Morgan Freeman. Like all of that because really comes to mind. <laughs> <the fight. laughs> um, I mean, you see like big set pieces and that, like the big you know scene with all the bats and you know, the Sonic call where he drops down through the foyer and that you know the big staircase. Oh, there's Thomas Lennon. Yeah, there's Thomas Lennon as Doctor. Well, and then and then he goes, <laughs> you know, Inception where he just boom like that. Yeah, movie. oh uh, yeah, big scale there too as well. It's just cool to see this movie to work on such a personal scale and just it's very. I mean, I I, I say Tarantino as not in the sense that it's like a neo noir, but in the sense that it's this movie could have taken place in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. It doesn't pin yeah. down to any one time zone, you know, one time period. You know? Right. Here, here's a great example of that right here with the Sammy Jenkins stuff. Yeah, look at that TV. Look, yeah. Yeah. look at the TV's old. The, all the furniture's old. Sammy Jenkins. Guy Pierce's like, hair. The guy like, Pierce's hair is way different. They're, he's wearing uh, Sammy Jenkins is wearing like a cardigan. Like it's like all of this stuff is it. it there's there's nothing that dates this material, but it it, it just feels kind of old fashioned, but not you know, quite. His it's, angles, it's, his angles on the insulin feel almost like an old school uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the way he shoots, the way he shot that, I just you know. Definitely making the most of the black and white. Mm-hmm very conscious of the you know the use of it in this too again i mean it, these are all things that you would expect for someone who had who had made a lot of films before or, or right. had a lot of training you know but and i mean a, you only made you only made like a, a few short films and one feature length before this yeah. you know and it's a, yeah like we said it's like a, he uses black and white in two spots in this film but it's different kinds of black and white yeah mm-hmm. it has two completely different feels yeah, it's it's like my two Instagram black and white filters. There you go. <laughs> it's just like that. Yeah, exactly like that. I I like these moments of Leonard awakening into whatever like current chapter of his mind he's in. Something like this where he wakes up and he's just kind of examining the details of like, okay, let me get a sense of where I am and whatnot. But then there's ones where he's thrust into oppor- into situations where he already has to meet somebody or greet them in some way, and mm-hmm. like he like he you know goes into later on. He just kind of fakes it. He has this kind of like, yeah, of course, this is what I'm doing. This, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> We've met a bunch of times. Like after oh, like they sure. told it's like, yeah, you met me before. And, of course I have. Here, yeah. What what am I talking? What are we talking about? Of course, yeah. Later on, we have that uh, the ga- the one every time I showed this movie to somebody, because this was one I had to be like, oh my gosh, you have to see Memento. You have to. Mm-hmm. I, I showed so many damn people back in the day, <laughs> and uh, like the one that always played the gangbusters was the. Uh, uh, the one, the chase. Yeah. When he wakes in the middle of the chase, that one always got huge laughs. Yeah. It, but but yeah. Christopher Nolan's not funny. He's so emotionless. He does, you know. There's, there's, there's nothing personal to these movies. <laughs> you mentioned um, Darren Aronofsky. 
yeah. in relation to him. And that's a very apt comparison because they're both, you know, they're both guys that came out of like nowhere and just started making films and got this kind of respect to some degree. Now, obviously, Nolan achieved something much greater as far as mainstream popularity versus Darren Aronofsky. But Darren Aronofsky had what? He had Pi and then Requiem for a Dream, then mm-hmm. takes a while off and makes The Fountain. Um, and there was, yeah, the Batman talks was in there where he could have made Batman for a while. Nolan, yeah, has Falling around the same time mm-hmm. and then Memento. Is down the same year as we're reckoning for a dream and then goes greater and then yeah as you said he, be- he becomes kind of a star into himself where he's not an actor he doesn't do many kind of he's not like he's not on you know talk shows doing interviews that kind of mm-hmm. thing he just kind of does you know behind the scenes special features and like you know some press rounds or whatnot when his films come out but he has such a way about him where you're kind of you like you want to know what makes this guy tick like he's very fascinating in that way which is right. i think interesting. he's not oversaturated <laughs> like, which is why we i mean we still like it. We're in a day and age where we have to hear everything about anything, anything. And he manages to keep a private life. Uh, he's, you know, we focus on his films every time he, something comes out and, and never on what's next. It's always on the film at the time. And he, I, I, I have always just accepted that, you know what? I, I still think he's great. And it just, you know, now when you're on this pedestal, everyone's always going to throw rocks to knock you off because, you know, we can't. The people, people aren't. I think, I think, if the if I the masses discovered you, then you're not cool anymore, or you know, <laughs> that type of thing can happen. The the sad and stupid thing is once you start creating at a certain level, people expect you to create at that level every time, all the time, twenty four seven. You know what I mean? And not make different kinds of things, but make something like the same last thing that they that you made that they just liked. You know? And Christopher Nolan doesn't do that. His movies are fairly fairly different. You know, even the Batman movies are fairly different. Yeah, the Batman. Yeah. Oh, the, they're the, completely the, yeah. the first one you know, is more I mean, of a noir. Dark Dark Knight is more of a you know, it's 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 heat, it's a crime saga and the and yeah. Dark Knight Rises is a disaster movie slash you know, epic. Right. <laughs> so, well, I felt like you know, Dark Knight Rises. He actually, you know, made a comic book film by the third one. It's like, the most the comic first, booky, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people would just, oh no. But I mean, but but I mean, what's what's um, I, I I just it's rare that that someone gets to that level and doesn't like, I mean, and still is making interesting stuff. I mean, even if it's not, I mean, I I wasn't a huge fan of Interstellar for a few, a few reasons. I thought it was good. You know, but I didn't think it was like you know one of his best movies. But like, it was incredibly interesting and watchable. You know, I mean, even 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 a movie of his that I don't think is is you know top shelf for him is still, my you know, streets ahead of a lot of things that are out there. Like we were saying, if Insomnia is your worst film, yeah, you know, yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like. Maybe I'm not saying it the right way. Like the worst Christopher Nolan movie is like the best movie of a hundred other directors. Exactly. Like when we talk about Tarantino, we talk about Death Proof, and we're like, I mean, that's the best film for a lot of other. It would be the best Neil Breen film for sure. We just, I just want to mention that we talked over a scene where Stephen Tobolowsky and Thomas Lennon are playing completely straight dramatic characters, which I think right. is, is kind of funny. <laughs> but, um, and Joe Pants also says Lenny again. Yeah, we got that in there. Uh, it's, it's the non-comedic scene of uh, Peter Bankman's introduction in Ghostbusters. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, right? In, in part two. Or no, part yeah, one. I want to talk about it. No, part one. Yeah, with the, with the buzzing. Um, I want to get back to this Nolan thing again because I just find it interesting. I was talking to a friend of the show, Scott Mendelson, about this the other day, um, where Nolan is one of the last kind of 
directors that's not only become like something you know kind of an entity into himself as far as like it's a new it's not just a new like DiCaprio film it's a new Christopher Nolan film like he's also one that's gone through it the right way if you know what I mean and by that I mean it's not like I don't know Tron Legacy where it's like some random director generally white came out of nowhere and like directed this mega bug mega budget giant blockbuster movie and you're like why did he earn this this is a guy who went from like a couple small films following Memento to like a mid-budget forty million dollar-ish um, adult theme thriller uh, with insomnia to you know then like a hundred million dollar Batman movie to uh, you know greater and greater and you know is left to his own devices basically at this point where he can make whatever films he wants to and we don't see that anymore guys <laughs> like we don't like and I, was, no. I, was, I was watching well, and he had to fight for that Batman film it wasn't like it was just handed to him like a lot of these are. Like yeah. a lot of these guys are in indie films and they jump to it because, well, when am I going to get this opportunity? Again? Yeah, he had, he had a good take. He made he made Insomnia. It made Warner Brothers a good good amount of money for being a, you know, a, a mid-budget adult drama that came out on Memorial Day weekend, by the way. Mm-hmm. I was looking this up. I was like, that's crazy. That's a Memorial Day weekend movie. Insomnia. The movie about Robin Williams being a murderer. <laughs> like, that's great. That's wild. And, and it beat a uh, one-hour photo to the punch, too. It was yeah. his first. Yeah. I would argue One Hour Photo is the reason that Rob Williams didn't get more credit that year because he did, like, two different, like, dramatic villain performances, so it kind of split the vote, like, as far yeah. as, like, him getting some kind of award consideration. Um, but, and, yeah, I it, mean, and it's a formula that's worked also for Marvel. I mean, they brought James Gunn, who was, like, an indie horror director, up to play, to do Guardians of the Galaxy and had a huge, you know, success with that. Um, uh, um, I'm going to totally blank on his name, but the guy who did uh, uh, Story of the Wilder People is directing Thor Ragnarok right yeah, now. Yeah, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi, same deal. I, can, I mean, I, he's made like, these indie films, and they, they're bringing him up to make these, you know, bigger budget you know, action movies and hopefully bring a little, you know, creativity, style, and heart to them. You know? That's still that's still kind of, I mean, I can, Marvel certainly shepherds a lot of these guys a little bit better than the others that are just kind of like, hey, Snowman and the Huntsman, you could do this guy that did music videos, why not? Like, but there's, <laughs> but there's still like, there's still like a leap there, you know, Jim, where it's like, you know, Taika Waititi made like Hunt for the Wilder People and What We Do in the Shadows for like under $10 million for both of those. Right, and, and like, they're both and, great movies. Yeah, they I are. Love but like Thor Ragnarok, that's like, you know, 150 $200 million movie right there. It's like, that's a giant jump. Nolan's like, this is like, the, I can't, I honestly, I can't think of like the last guy who went from, that's like really notable that went from something smaller scale to something, you know, huge scale that kind of went through the process the right way. Shyamalan, I guess. Their own. That still gets, still gets to, gets... yeah, like Shyamalan's cat, you know, he's, He's he's broken a lot of trusts at this point as far as what he's he's getting it back now by going backwards essentially by going from like making making something modest like Sixth Sense to Unbreakable to you know the Village Signs Last Airbender uh, to like that to going, made money even though it was bad was was Joss Whedon's first feature film Avengers no he had no, Serenity no Serenity, oh, Serenity which right. which was wow, also like that, that was that had to be like thirty million and then yeah. it was hmm did. Did we direct something before? Did we direct something before Serenity? What am I thinking? Television episodes. He's doing television and writing. TV, yeah, yeah. He's getting those writers' checks for you know uh, mm-hmm. drafts of X Men and what have you. But like, did he direct anything? I don't think so, right? Yeah, I think yeah. Huh? Doctor Horrible sing along blog, <laughs> which Everything came after is. Serenity. Uh, it came after Serenity. Yeah. I know. Which you know you say that too, and we have the generic white actor thing too, which. Um, it's it's a rarity to see like Chris Pratt who earned his stripes up to Guardians of the Galaxy where he was on television for a bit different parts he played supporting parts in comedies and other movies and worked his way up to a leading role. Yeah, very true. 
you could say that about Guy Pierce to an extent too, because you know mm-hmm. soon after this he's doing the time the time machine, right? Right. Everyone's yeah. favorite. Movie. Oh yeah. Time Machine, he had uh, uh, Count of Monte Cristo. That's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Him and uh, Jesus, Caviezel. <laughs> <laughs> and what? And is it Richard Harris? Is he the old? Yeah, it's Richard Harris. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, never, I never saw him. I'll have to check that out then. Who directed that one, too? That's It's someone like, like I know it, but it's like it's not like a huge name, but it's like, oh, it's that guy. He did it. Uh, count, uh, as I search. This is one of the few night scenes in the movie. Oh, yeah. Kevin Reynolds, so yeah, Waterworld, and you know, uh, Costner's guy. That makes sense. He's he's like an old, he's like an Andrew Davis, like an old school act, like a '90s action, Martin Campbell, that kind of director. But yeah, Count of Monte Cristo, that's a good one. And this one, I just really, yeah, our, I've always known, but I just forgot to mention. But this is a little Matrix reunion too with the Carrie Moss and yeah, Joe Pants. Joe Pants. Uh, Carrie Moss suggested Joe Pants for this role. Oh, um, yeah. They they cat they got Joe they they got Carrie Ann Moss, um, who uh, uh, Nolan liked her addition. I think uh, Mary McConnell, well, Mary McCormick. Mary McCormick was like she really wanted this role, but they went to it with Carrie Ann Moss. And mm-hmm. then Moss, who had just got off Matrix, obviously, she suggested Joe Pants for the role. And they didn't really want him because he seems so evil. <laughs> like he, like just the. <laughs> it seems like he too, he seemed too obviously evil in their eyes. But they went anyway because no one liked his addition once again. They like, they liked what he was doing. Huh. And yeah, talking about Moss again, like this is this is not like you know, Pierce gets a lift from this at least, even if he's not suddenly becoming like. I mean, I think Time Machine was like his test, and that movie's you know not good, even though it made some money. <laughs> uh, but like. Boston, besides the Matrix sequels, didn't go like too far from here. Like, and you think it would? And mm-hmm. I, if anything, it probably because what's her name, Jolie, probably came in and kind of usurped the she can be an action star type roles character who like looks similar to Moss and kind of went from there. I think you know, being an Oscar winner at that time and everything, like Tim True. and all that. Yeah, uh, she. I don't know. She had what? Like, well, wait, no, this is many years. Tomb, Tomb Raider came out. Yeah. It was Fido was the next thing I can think of that I oh, with Moss yeah with Moss that I could there's like the crew, oh she had the Chum Scrubber which was uh, oh Red Planet Red Planet was uh 2000 that was 2000 because she started doing like kept kept about in this range but maybe a little more lower scale to pick because she was in that movie the Chum Scrubber which was in that year, that time frame where everybody was making the same white kid coming of age movie, like yeah, Thumbsucker, Thumbsucker, Chum yeah. Scrubber, I think there was another one. It didn't help that they all sounded alike. What? It didn't help that they sounded alike, Chum Scrubber and Thumbsucker, both yeah. at the same time period. Are we talking about uh, Tub Thumping? Tub Thumping, yeah. You get knocked down, you get up again, that's Dodd's motto in life. <laughs> that's a weird there. thing, looking into your closet and see like a, a guy there with the table over his mouth. Yeah, this is the this is the great this is the this is my favorite segment of the movie just because it's so much fun. The Dodd stuff, like obviously Yo, this movie, this the, movie's uh, great. Dodd. Yeah. <laughs> and like here's this is what I was talking about where, where Lenny like he quickly looks at his pictures and he's like, "Hey, it's Teddy. Hey, Teddy, how, how you doing? It's me. <laughs> I know you. We've been friends for a while." <laughs> like just kind of quick to like fake it. And I like this Teddy. Like, every time it's generally, like, really energetic Teddy, like, bouncing in. Like, Lenny, it's me! Here he's like, I'm just going to slump in this chair. <laughs> and now he's like, wait a minute. 
while I'm slumping in this chair and relaxing, I'm noticing a lot of sounds going on in the other room here. What's going on? It's like, oh, there's a guy in the closet. Like how he comes and asks him, like, what's going on? Like, as if he would know. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you called me. What am I, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, I know. And, like, you have to also think that Teddy, he may not necessarily know who Dodd is exactly, but he gets the he gets what the situation is, right? He gets that this is yeah. some person that, like, Natalie's probably involved him with in some way. And, and he might be even putting things together, too, as far as, like, her involvement in this whole story. Which is, I guess, is true because he's in the. He's playing backwards, but the scene before this, Teddy's in the car telling Lenny not to trust Natalie. <laughs> Guys, this movie's good and complex. <laughs> I couldn't tell from all this commentary, and I didn't know that Christopher Nolan was such a a great director. You know, I just didn't know that. I'm telling you guys, this no one got to go fact, places. He just hangs out in uh, meat lockers and fridges. That's... <laughs> He's going places. He's, He's going, going places. yeah. This no one guy's going places. That's week's show. <laughs> Calls them Sea Dog. They're that close. Yep. Oh man. Does that mean he got he let you see Dunkirk already? Not yet. Yeah. You and Sea Dog aren't that that tight yet. <laughs> I, I like to be I like to be surprised with an audience, <laughs> so sure, I, sure. I, I told you let, let us alone on this one. We'll wait. Are you go, yeah? Are you gonna go critic screening on that or hold out for seventy millimeter? The critic screening's on the IMAX, so. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Lucky duck. I like the Letty's line. Um, I don't think they'd let a person like me carry a gun. Is pretty fantastic, <laughs> <laughs> and, and very true. <laughs> course that's on the stop certain people can get in guns but you know whatever oh yeah there's there's a uh teddy's asking him to steal hey we should steal his car <laughs> take your own car <laughs> <laughs> yep becomes so much more humorous than the chronological version yeah hey, even looking at these cars like get teddy's around this old chevrolet right this so this motel was probably built in the fifties, you know. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it must be really easy to wear a gun in your back like that. I see a lot of people do it in movies. It's like, it just, it just yeah, never, really, like, never seems posture. to cause. Yeah, yeah, never seems to cause any problems. I actually, you you know, what's, uh, I actually met a guy that had uh, Leonard's uh, disease. In oh, this yeah? Movie. yeah. Um when my wife and I had to take these little classes before we got married or whatever, it was really stupid. But um but we had to go to these people's house and uh the husband had it like and you know, it was weird cuz he looked at you but he's like remind he's like he'd be like remind me who you guys are again. Okay. Well, come on in. It's like it was cuz his was more so uh he went to sleep at night or something and the next day it'd be gone. Mm. Mm. So it was a longer. Project. It was a long he, thing. He had Drew, he had Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Days Disease. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. <laughs> this stuff is, I this is this is really good emotional stuff for me. Like this this makes me like feel for it as far as this yeah. wife trying desperately to make her husband like 
remember and in Stephen Tobolowsky's reactions where he's just like I don't understand what's going on and I feel so terrible about it like this is good stuff which Tobolowsky has always been a goofy actor getting yeah. some of the most dramatic stuff mm-hmm. out of this movie yeah he's no one apparently saw a lot in Thomas Lennon and Stephen Tobolowsky as far as dramatic work goes Although Thomas Lennon, he's, he's getting some chuckles in in Dark Knight Rises when he's like, yeah, well, you shouldn't have done that with your knee, huh? Like, it's, it's... <laughs> you're, like, you're like, you're still walking around. Uh, yeah, he, I don't feel drunk. He, he got a lot. That's one of my favorite lines of the movie, by the way. You don't feel, yeah. I don't feel drunk. Also, the, oh, we skipped, we walked completely over it. But when, uh, when um, Teddy says something about being scared and uh, and Lenny, Lenny's line is like, maybe it was your sinister mustache. And he's like, fuck you. That, that's one of my favorite exchanges. <laughs> Good, they have a good rapport with each other. I mean, the chemistry between him and yeah. dancers. It's good stuff. Oh, yeah, it's so funny how he just like, well, I'm going to take a shower here. Yeah. <laughs> and I like I this Dodd scene. Dodd, so in, in Dodd's logic, he's like, I'm just going to come in and take a piss. And like he slowly realizes, wait a minute, there's clothes on the floor. There's steam in the shower next to me. What's going on here? And he gets beat up for it. Yeah. This is... He's gonna have like such a weird story to tell his people. It's like there was this guy I was chasing after, and he was just suddenly naked in my shower and beat me up. <laughs> it happens, especially in Florida. He'll reverse that story though. He'll be like, guys, one time I was so confident in getting under my marks that I got naked, took a shower, and then beat up the guy that came into this room. Boom. That hurt. That hurt. Jeez. Mm-hmm. What an awkward position. Like, he's taking a shower, not knowing where he is, wakes up, and has to fight a guy. <laughs> I just realized how much of this movie is just filmed in motel rooms. Oh, yeah. That really helped the uh, production costs. I bet. Yeah, because just do whatever. <laughs> the uh, black and white motel stuff, that's a lot of Guy Pierce just improving. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. Um, it's a lot of, like, get Those the... some gen- good lines that he's throwing out, though. Oh, and his, his voiceovers are just his, kinda... his, yeah his voiceover stuff. Well, but even like yeah yeah like it's it's a lot of a lot of improv work on his part. Like him on the phone, he's just yeah, yeah. kind of rambling. Yeah, right. which with a, a movie where you need to keep the continuity pretty straight is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I don't feel drunk is a great start to a a scene. The so where am I? <laughs> That's a great start to a scene. Like all this stuff is golden to me. <laughs> it's, and it's amazing too, like the the disorientation you feel in the color scenes because they're going out of chronological order. You're almost anchored by the scenes where he's talking on the phone, you know, in the black and white. You know, that's almost like the saner or the more comfortable quote unquote of the two storylines up until the point where it turns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, clever, these always um... yeah these always end where you began. And then the right. black and white ones always leave you on a cliffhanger where you're like, oh, right. stop, stop. But also you don't know when and where these black and whites are taking place at the time. That's what's really right. cool about it. Like, it's this weird, like, yeah. reset button where, yeah, it's going to restart the, you know, the story essentially when you go to the next thing. And so you're kind of sharing Leonard's state of mind, which is, again, very clever. But you're, but meanwhile, you're kind of slowly piecing together this this weird like situation where he's stuck in this room not necessarily stuck but like metaphorically stuck in this room Uh just rambling on and on to who knows who and going over details about cases and whatnot like it's just it's you think it might be after all this 
Yeah, it but, could be it could be taking place at any point, and yeah, after this certainly is like a, a possibility, but you just don't quite know where it's headed, but you're very intrigued by it at the same time. Yeah, because everybody's like, "Oh no, it's this movie; it's told backwards." It's like actually, that's incorrect. It's it's two, the beginning and the end slowly coming together. Well, you, in the you, blow, you no, you blow people's minds away. You're like, "This movie is that the movie that goes backwards?" No, it's the movie that goes backwards and forwards. Yes, <laughs> Hans Zimmer, <laughs> mind blown. <laughs> Oh it's, yeah, there's oh, a fat symbol in this movie. Yep, I forgot. Yeah, it's like everybody's like, "Oh look, it's, it, yeah, you know, he he always knew he was gonna do Batman because yeah, it was accidentally in the background yeah. of a scene in Memento." Well, there's one in following too. <laughs> there's one in following also. There's a, like a bat a bat sticker on oh, okay. like, on the on the door of one of the characters. And there's that scene in Insomnia where Al Pacino's like, "Hey, have you ever heard of Bruce Wayne, millionaire?" <laughs> He doesn't have that scene, but it'd be great if there wasn't there. When Robin Williams calls him on the phone, he goes, Hey, you ever uh, dance with the devil on the pet? <laughs> I <laughs> asked that about my friend. Huh, I got a rule for you. Huh? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. Whoops, wrong guy. Get I love that joke eight. right there. The whole, oh, yeah. Like, yeah, the idea of room six and he goes to yeah. number nine and takes it. Yeah, that's, oh, that's good. He was, yeah. he was nice and apologetic about it. This is the also, comedic break section of the yeah. film where everyone... Also, also, he has this kind of... He's kind of, you know, even though it's within one memory, he's already kind of stumbled the memory because he thinks he's getting the he's getting the jump on Dodd, even though Dodd should technically be chasing him still. Yes. Like, for some reason, he thinks that he's escaped Dodd and Dodd immediately went back to his hotel room. <laughs> like, it's a weird, like, thought that Leonard has, apparently. <laughs> it's funny how fast he catches himself up to speed, which probably adds to the, like, question of, like, does he really know what's going on, or does well, that, I mean, that speaks to, we'll get to this as it kind of goes on, but speaks to the nature of his condition and how real things are uh, concerning the Sammy Jenkins character and what have you, but we that's that's another can of worms I think we'll talk about a little later on as we get to it towards the end of the film. Um, but yeah, it's you know the conditioning that he's put himself through to kind of make these things work for him yeah it's certainly need to consider as far as how knowing he is of everything i don't feel drunk if you want to make your own tattoos this is how you do it this is how you do it this oh. is a way to do it <laughs> probably the healthiest <laughs> it's neat how the dodd stuff which is you know we just got to, basically we're at the we just got to the end of all the Dodd stuff at this point, so now we're like in another kind of segment of the movie, and this is like fairly emotional stuff, where Leonard's going through like he's dealing with his you know gr he's grieving essentially he's going through his wife's kind of si the situation with his wife involving like what he wants to do with her stuff and why he's even here at this point. Mm -hmm. I guess this is the this is the end of the Dodd stuff really. I like the the next kind of chapter after it. It's also neat to think about how long some of these segments are. Like, this is a fairly short one. So it's like somehow, like, because Leonard's, you know, as long as his concentration's here, he's fine. And so you'd think that him in a chase scene with Dodd, you'd think that kind of thought would stick around for a while, but he forgets literally while he's running and chasing, <laughs> being chased by Dodd. That's a practical move. You know, you let yeah. the uh, attacker get in, then you get out. Yeah, yes. that worked. 
Like, how would you forget what you're doing? <laughs> you're like running yes. away like that. <laughs> like, I mean, does. that's that's the. That's his uh, disease. That's his dilemma. I know. It's just like he he talks about it himself, where he's like, if as long as I keep my con- like, we're gonna get to a whole scene involving pens, and how he has to just concentrate on something. You think a high energy scene of him running away from somebody, he'd probably have his mind on that same topic, unless he's like mm, Fritos and just lost track of it or something. <laughs> this is when they got the inspiration for Finding Dory. I t- <laughs> Yep. Also, I totally hope that he was thinking, mm, Fritos, and that's why he lost his concentration. <laughs> that's why he lost his train of thought. <laughs> it could happen. Another night car scene. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah, the other night. And yeah. I think this is it. I think there's only two nights that pass in this movie. Well, we already saw one of them. Yeah, we saw one of them. I think this is the other one, and I think that I think that's it. Probably cheaper to keep it during the day. Yeah, everything else is filmed at the hotel room. Well, even just the nature of the timeline of this film right. doesn't really do so much. Wait, this is this Harvey Dent. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Dent's like three fours up from here. Yeah, he's yelling. Why wasn't that guy? There's Harvey Dent either. That guy, yeah, he too. could, he could. Well, you know, but Aaron Eckhart auditioned to be Leonard actually, and oh, no one okay. liked no one liked wow. him a lot for the role. So he, he, you know, he kept him in mind for something else, which turned out to be Dark Knight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because well, yeah, Killian Murphy Pier- was a, a yeah. favorite for Batman, and then he kept him around for Scarecrow. Well, he's English. They got a good rapport. I get that. Right. <laughs> which that would have been interesting. Irish, yes. He's from the UK. Shut up, babe. <laughs> I don't know if he's from Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland isn't... Uh, it would be part of the UK, but everything else is not. Is that where the wind shakes the barley? I don't know. <laughs> Thank you to our, all of our Irish listeners. He's from Douglas Country Cork, Ireland. There you go. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, Guy Pierce. He'd make a good Riddler. Yeah? Oh, mm. Interesting. Uh, I can see that. Guy Pierce can ham it up if he wants to. What? Look, look at Lawless. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Bane. <laughs> and uh, John Connor. Oh, yeah, Jason Clarkson in that movie. <laughs> and he's, and like, the worst one. He's, like, the worst guy in that movie, too. He's, like, the, he's he's like the, the coolest guy in that movie. <laughs> he's, the, he's, like, the brute. That, like, like, Tom Hardy's already, he's, like, the rock. But, like, when Jason Clark gets involved, it's like, here's the crazy guy, yeah, Jason crazy Clark. Brother. I, I liked how... Um... I, uh, I liked how poor man's Tom Hardy got to be like, hey, I can play a comic book villain too. Oh, the shocker? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Spider-Man? <laughs> shocker number shocker. one? First shocker? <laughs> yep, not Tom Hardy. He <laughs> got in there. Logan Marshall Green, for those keeping track. <laughs> He's good in The Invitation. Did you guys see The Invitation? Yes, yeah. Where he looks totally like Tom Hardy. Where the fuck is Troy? That's I like that a lot. <laughs> Where the fuck is Choi? He says that like a lot. He's getting really paranoid in the movie. That was a that was a creepy ass movie. It is. We talked over Georgia Fox's one scene where she talks. By the way, yeah, <laughs> that was so the true. scene. Oh, I think he had like three or four lines. Yeah, he's like, "Don't be a dick." I like reading it. Like that's her. That's her line. And now, so this black, we're getting like these revelations he's having, kind of, mm-hmm. where he, which is weird because, like, again, we don't, 
we'd we'd get that he gets his situation but like we don't know how much he really knows and so he's like he's discovering things for the first time it's like what's going on here in this hotel room like what's who's he talking to that he's like suddenly learning new facts well it's crazy to think about like he you know he's intentionally like trapped himself with things and what because of his condition with how short his you know memory loss you know things are with his memory loss like if he gets angry or bitter or wants to f with him or someone else he can't he has no time to second guess or think about or calm down from it he's gonna do it right away because he also knows he's going to forget yeah I wonder how that works with like his his like you know diet habits. He's just like I really want Fritos or do you see I really him want a chili cheese. Film? Yeah, do clearly he's in good he's in good shape. Clearly, yeah. so. <laughs> I mean he's running around all the time. Aimless. He's right. Yeah, he's constantly on the run. He's <laughs> <laughs> great cardio. Mm-hmm. He'd be screwed in, in Inception world, yeah. or per, or perfect. I don't know what. And it, so it's Teddy on the phone, right? That's yeah. Yep. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's te- like, what's Teddy's goal? <laughs> it's like he's having this really Hell, Leonard, I'm a John G. <laughs> yes. Well, Lenny's goal on the phone in the in the black and white is to, get, to get him to kill Jimmy, right? Jimmy, yeah. and yeah. that's you know, money get out of town. Okay. He's just like, it's a long, it's a long play to get him to do that. Well, I, I figure they go to town. He he does this with him every time. I he guess takes so. him somewhere. Yeah. He acts like he's this cop that's going to help him on the case. I think at first he was genuine about it, and and Teddy was driven to his own madness because he couldn't help Leonard. He couldn't fix Leonard, and he in turn became as obsessed and crazy in a different way with this because he, they actually they did kill the guy involved in his wife's. Uh, I think yeah, his wife was raped. She didn't. She wasn't murdered, but she was raped and her home broken into. And, and he, the, they, the whole memory they did, thing got messed up. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> they found the guy and nothing happened. And it, it upset Jack because he felt like he could help him where the other cops and doctors weren't by, you know, letting him, you know, have his, you know, desire fulfilled, which was murdering somebody in revenge, which no one's no doctor or police are going to let the guy do that. But it and it didn't work. And then there's guilt. And then he just decided screw this i'm already an awful person for doing this and because he probably had some guilt with letting him just sit and watch him kill somebody for out of revenge Mm. well here's here's the other i mean we can get into it i guess here's the other thing um is there a sammy jenkins uh it's leonard that's what i think we're led to i think there was a, a there was uh a cry wolf guy. Uh, I think Teddy. Teddy says there was a Sammy Jenkins, and Leonard proved him. Had yeah, proved there's. Him. So yeah, there's. I mean, there's there's two narratives I guess to go with on that. Where like there was a Sammy Jenkins who pretended to, or like he made up this condition, or he made up that he had this condition, and Leonard proved him wrong, or what have you. And then, sort of twisted way of karma, it it wound up on him and all that. Um, but the other is that. Like yeah, and, and so yeah, and so if there if there is no real Sammy Jenkins, it's all Leonard the whole time. Where the wife does get raped, not necessarily murdered, but the memory gets messed up, and she has diabetes, and he's giving her the insulin the whole time, and then she eventually gets herself into a coma and dies from trying to prove that he can make memories and all that, and then and his it, head be- doesn't want to blame himself, so he mixes Sammy Jenkins with himself. So he conditions himself to to think of this. T- story involving Stephen Tobolowski mm. and what have you and goes from there. The other 
is that there was the Sammy Jenkins who really did have this thing with his wife, and he she went into a coma, and then in a very highly coincidental situation, Lenny also wound up with the same exact thing, mm-hmm. and the the wife was raped and murdered, and he's on this quest to kind of right that wrong. Right. I mean, there's it's it's open to interpretation for it sure. Is. Um, there's yeah, there's that there's that way of looking at it, which I don't disagree with, and then there's the you know, there's there's the the Teddy Teddy revelation way as well. I mean, it's both ways drive the story to where it, it completely needs to go. And I think what's the most telling is that, I mean, Leonard writes, don't believe his lies. And again, right. I, this speaks to the movie conditioning you to, you know, get how it's playing. And so if you, if you watch it forwards, well, you kind of can believe Teddy most of the time. And that's in there. I mean, he's obviously yeah. saying things to his advantage in order to kind of get the better of, of Lenny, but he's also, he's not necessarily lying to him in right. any real instance. He is like, Natalie is actually up to no good. Um, he, he does want Lenny to get out of town. He doesn't want, you know, he wants to deal with Dodd appropriately. He doesn't want Lenny to, you know, die in any scenario. Like he actually is being quite truthful to him. Uh, and so him, so him telling him that his wife was diabetic and that there was no Sammy Jenkins, like you can believe that because Teddy has no real reason to lie in this. But who's to say that Natalie isn't going to take Leonard and continue this with him? Maybe, you know, does she have a taste of this? And maybe because she doesn't have Jimmy anymore, who was, you know, he's probably quite well off being a drug dealer uh, money-wise. She was just working at a bar. Who's to say she doesn't take over what Teddy was doing? Because now in his in his memories, in his photos and everything else, uh, Leonard trusts Natalie. That's his point of contact with the trust and who to who to go to because Teddy is gone. So basically, we have to write to me to Mento the sequel to Memento right. to see what happens <laughs> after he shoots Teddy in the head. Because after he shoots Teddy in the head, we have nothing to go on. So it's like, well, yeah. what is the next move there? <laughs> like he takes a picture. So I mean, he has proof, but how Don't far does that? Lies, and the only person he knows is is Natalie and yeah. and Mark Boone Jr. <laughs> Get another get a new room with a, yeah. with a queen bed. Right. It's just yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. there's so many interpretations, so many ways to look at things in this movie. It's just it's fascinating. It was just, it is. I mean, for immediately upon seeing it, it was one of my favorite films ever. And I I I was obsessed with it for, for years after I mean when this thing came out on DVD, I probably wore it out. Um I even yeah. like I told Aaron I wrote a paper on it in college. Wow. Yeah, where did that? Let's talk about that for a second. What was that I, paper like? I I just I don't know. I just I think I probably had a a, a loose kind of a way of fitting it into whatever subject matter. I was just like I just want to write about Memento, and I wrote about it up and down. Just you know, things about the characters, the the that Nolan's storytelling aesthetic, watching it forwards, watching it backwards. I mean, just kind of a full on analysis of the film probably probably would probably equate to um i lost my my computer died that had it on it so i i have no way of getting it uh back ever but it was probably equate to some like really highly in-depth spoiler review spoilery review of the film but with a little bit more looking into some of the dynamics and you know character logics and things like that but, i wrote an essay about spider-man too and got an a there you go <laughs> so there i also wrote an essay that 
uh, for about Midnight in Paris and um, Inception, which I, I'm really I was really happy with a few years back. <laughs> so Wait, I got that for your for, uh, for your paper on Spider Man Two. Did you talk about like how robotics might be a bad thing to be ingrained with humans? Uh, <laughs> I wish, but it was actually just an analysis of blockbuster cinema. Oh, okay. I used Spider-Man right. 2 as my example. I, I had to look at, I had to look at microfilm for that. <laughs> Folks, we are witnessing the death of the comic book film right here. <laughs> <laughs> it did die after that. I mean, it's the best one. So, you know, but I'm still... <laughs> oh, no, I, yeah, I don't know. My papers in college were all funky weird. <laughs> I did do it. I did do it a, an entire... We had to write a a genre-based paper, and I did a horror, a history of horror and, like, horror genre paper with no work cited. Uh, and I what? Got an a, I got an A on it. Uh, I would have been like, you know, Brandon, I need this. I, I got called in. I got called in my professor's office, and he wanted to talk to me about it, and I talked to him about everything, you know, everything. I just told him where I came from. Everything came from my head. I didn't have to look anything up. Da, 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 da. He goes, well, I appreciate you tackle something new that you're not familiar with, but this is really impressive, and I actually... I totally believe that you didn't read a damn a, a book on it and it's this good so i was like oh cool wow another yeah. another speaking of memento another uh, neat thing about about this this stuff right here i mean we talked about the interplay between pants and uh, pierce being so good pants and pierce new detective show this fall yes. box. <laughs> um but over the line this time pants <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> what are you talking about pierce <laughs> <laughs> but the you know a lot of these scenes are just two guys talking or two people talking and it's really well done it's so intriguing mainly because obviously the, the you know the memory thing plays such an integral role in this so you're like you got to you got to keep up with everything so you're really paying attention but this is great stuff like there's tension involving if Lenny should write a note on the back of his photo like that's the that's the crux the crux of this scene right now and it's really good stuff like it's great listening to these guys talk and act with each other well I mean pants is always his conversation is always steering and controlling. The yeah. Guy like, eh, I don't wanna. It's good stuff, and yeah, I, now we really definitely have to write the, the pilot for Pants and Pierce because that'll just with Sergeant <laughs> Moss. With Sergeant Moss. <laughs> 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 Lieutenant Neo comes in for a special guest. <laughs> I like this repeated thing of uh, Leonard saying who he is, and then Pants repeating, "That's who you were." Is, it's another yeah, it's, just I, the way touch. he delivers the line is like, "You don't know who you are." Like I, but, yeah, he's Pants is awesome. This is one of his best roles ever. Oh, for sure. And along with the Matrix, like he had two of his best roles, and he'd been around forever. But yeah, the, two, the, those wait, two. You don't like great. him as angry captain who couldn't make basketball shots. Okay. I was I was making them all in before you guys got here. <laughs> Gonna be just like him too. Retired. Everybody wants to be like Mike. <laughs> and of course, there's the midnight run. You got the Duke. But um, all right. Uh, <laughs> enough screaming pants seats. <laughs> <laughs> the hell was I saying? <laughs> you were talking about uh, the greatness of Joe Pants and uh, a guy Pierce needing a buddy cop movie. I was after that. There's yeah, something Pierce else. <laughs> I was talking about the the the, the repeated lines of uh, who we were. Well, that's what I was talking about. Um, the memory—it's obviously it's a handicap, but you can almost see this as like a weird origin story for some kind of superhero, where this guy comes in completely out of his element because he has no idea what the hell's going on, but seems to solve crimes in some way. 
He could be put into the Unbreakable universe, right? Mm-hmm. Memory go. Man. Memory Man. <laughs> Memory Man takes on the, uh, what's it, the Horde? Yes. The Horde and Mr. Glass. You know how he knew he was uh, the villain? It was the kids. <laughs> they called him the Memory Man. <laughs> they called they him Memory Man. Calling... No, the joke is they kept on calling him Memory Man. <laughs> they kept on calling him Memory, memory Man. <laughs> His never answer the phone tattoo looks like some like late night horror public access like public domain movie being shown like yeah. the commercial break or something. You got it. Uh, you got it in the green room. <laughs> Who plays Unbreakable? Who plays Mr. Glass's mom? I just watched it not too long ago, and I was like, oh, that's her. Um, I don't know. Here we go. This is where she gets. Ah, so good. Oh, yeah, this stuff. Oh, no, it's not her that surprised me. It's um the doctor who tells him that he has, um that it, like he has whatever bone disease he has. It's Yvonne Walker from, like, Oz and a lot of other things. And it's like, oh, it's him. He's playing the doctor. That's cool. This is a good testament to how good Carrie M. Moss is in this movie, where you're watching, like, one scene this way and another scene another way. And obviously it's just, you know, it's a matter of taking a few takes. But still, that's, you know, it's an intense thing to do, playing a character that's hysterical and lying to somebody versus a scene before where she's just, like, the worst person on Earth. Yeah, within, like, two seconds, she's going to, like, you're going to flip on her and be like, oh, crap, what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she is, like, I mean, vile in her... She's talking to him before. Yeah, she's she's going full pants to make him mad, that's for sure. Pants. I gotta say, my favorite pants role, or one of them, was uh, Bound. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's great in Bound. He's, oh, yeah. he's yeah. so he's so like dirtbag evil in that movie. It's just great. That's it. That's an interesting movie as far as like how people control the parts in that movie because it's like it starts out as um like Gershon's movie and then it becomes Pants's movie for like the like the middle section and then it mm-hmm. becomes right. Tilly's Tilly's movies for like the last um the last third. But like that middle part with Pants is incredibly tense. Yeah, that's like a credit to both him and how great the Wachowskis were, similar to Nolan, where they're coming out of nowhere, doing like this little small movie first before going on to the Yeah, Matrix, they never do like... anything near it again. <laughs> yeah. like... Right. But you, but watching The Matrix, you're like, of course these are the guys that did bad. Look at the camera oh, yeah. work in this movie. Yeah. Like, obviously the effects are another thing, but just like the way that it bound the camera's like moving like along the floor, through along these like telephone lines and through the walls and stuff. It's just, it's a really directed film in addition to having some good performances. Charlene Woodard played uh, Mr. Glass's mother in that movie. Yeah, she's like a stage unbreak- actress. An yeah. unbreakable, right? Yeah. I can never remember if it's Mr. Glass or Dr. Glass, but I guess it's Mr. Glass. <laughs> he owns a comic book shop. It's Mr. Glass. <laughs> I know, but it's more nefarious if it's Dr. I Glass. HD well, comics. In, in the sequel... <laughs> Like, I'm sure he'll he'll have at it, once he's out of jail he probably got his doctorate while in prison and become Doctor Glass <laughs> or Mister Glass PhD whichever you want to call him <laughs> that'd be better that that's better for the TV series Mister Glass PhD Mister Glass PhD maybe he'll build a giant glass tonight at nine following Pants and Pierce Hollywood get on get on this we're like knocking out gems here as far as what shows you got your making. fall schedule worked out already. Guy Pierce and Joe Pants would sign up for a TV show. It's not like they're having like huge career bumps right now. Right. We have them going on right. this. <laughs> oh, that reveal of when Leonard um 
when, I like how it's almost like memento as I remember things to talk about. Um, <laughs> when he takes off the bandit, it says never answer the phone. That's a that's a great like horror movie reveal. Like that's yeah, a great, that sets yeah. tension right there. That's like, what I say in the font. <laughs> yeah, the font's really cool. It's like watching a it's like watching a like a twenties foot slang movie or something all of a sudden where it just says don't don't answer the phone. It's like wow, that's hang up. He hangs up the phone immediately. It's just really scary. Because again, he's trapped in that hotel room, so it's like I don't know what's happening. This is the this is a great scene for when you rewatch this movie. Oh because, yeah, yeah. Because he's stealing all these pens, and so it's like you get it. You can get it as you're watching it, but at the same time, watching it again, you're like, she's just planned this out so well. Where she's coming in, she's like, I'm gonna make this guy really pissed off, and I'm gonna take away every writing utensil possible so I can get him to do something for me. And so watching her go into this tirade against him while furiously stealing every pen out of her house and putting it into her purse. It's perfect. and they had a lot of pens. Yeah, this is a house of pens in the Natalie house. House of pens tonight at ten. After house of pens, Doctor Glass, yeah. PhD, and uh, Pants appears. Wait, is this it's on a Fox? Net- it's a it's a Netflix <laughs> spinoff from House of Cards. House of pens. It involves Natalie. Uh, involves Carrie Ann Moss as a, a rising senator who is really good with writing utensils. <laughs> but her secret shame is that her drawer is full of pens she's stolen from jobs over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, compulsively, sort of dark skeleton in her closet is a house of pens. She constantly talks to the camera in a South Carolina accent. I like that line of, uh, you can't get scared. But can you get mad? <laughs> yeah, I can. He goes full teeth on that one. It, Pierce is, or, I mean, we're talking about these other good, but Pierce remains great throughout this. He's doing a lot of different things here, and yeah, seeing him get mad, which we haven't really, we haven't, we've seen him lose his, we've seen him kind of stressed, but losing his cool like this, he goes pretty far. Like it, it, he looks pissed. It's like I don't want to mess with Guy Pierce. <laughs> yeah. Somebody was on Wikipedia today. Man, she's throwing out a lot of uh, cuss words here. Yeah, well. Abe, close your ears. Okay, okay. Tell me when it's over, please. Don't look at your subtitles. Cover your ears. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll tell you when it's okay. I can't believe this movie is rated (laughs) PG-13. It's great because uh, you could. it almost looks like Guy Pearce is still searching for her pen when she's circling him. Well, he's, you can see he's like, yeah, he's just like, I can't, I need to remember this because, boy, this is a, doing a number on my psyche right now. Well, she is the TV like Sammy Jenkins. You notice that? She yeah. is Sammy Jenkins. I, I don't just, know. <laughs> Whose home is this? Like, look, it's, it's like I was going to say before, and... I look like the house that Sammy Jenkins yeah. is in. Yeah. Well, given the small production, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just shipping all these same props over to the different houses to kind of both create a vibe for the film and join them all. And I mean, that was in black and white. You can just shoot the house differently. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, I don't know if that's the same TV, but I just noticed it was like wood panel. And... But I'm, I'm saying, I mean, you save on cost by using the same props, but also right. kind of, it lends itself to the world of the film by having similar things everywhere. This part makes me always sad because it's just like he's just so desperately needs to find a pen, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. concentrating so hard. And nope. and this is that moment where you're like, oh, that's what she was doing when she came in the room. The first and how do you? And that's the I mean that's the acting right there. Appears like how, you have to be great to like 
how do you do this where you're like you're furiously trying to not forget something and the end of the scene is you forget it and you have to right. show that in your and you have to show that in your eyes and he does it he like looks up and you just see like you see like you know the clouds go out of his eyes and he's just back to blue eyed Lenny like doesn't know what the what none the wiser all of a sudden yeah. that's that's amazing it's a great performance that's how you got guys the listen to me it's a great performance and I love <laughs> and I love her sitting just staring in the car. Yeah, so like, almost that's like, the, yeah, that, like a that, that's the most reset. menacing. Yeah, that's the most menacing part of the movie where she's just kind of like staring at him, knowing that it's gonna work. By the way, Jim, I didn't know that you had a cameo in this movie. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. Jeez. <laughs> what you don't like falafel? <laughs> yeah, it's also the crooked cop in Batman Begins. <laughs> the not Harvey like Harvey Bullock. Yeah, the non-Harvey Bullock, Harvey Bullock, who later right. you get like a Harvey Bullock non-named guy in Dark Knight. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they got Mark Boone Jr. to play Flash. And the comics, Flash is like he's like a he's like a a bulk like ex-military guy, right? In the yeah, yeah. one, and they, yeah, they got Mark, and they got the guy that looks like he could easily play Bullock in a Batman movie to play Flash. <laughs> and then arrives, we have to settle for Matthew Modine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he made Cutthroat Island, and then we had what? Not Renee Montoya, Renee Montoya as well. And That's right, was, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, right. she's just dirty. He's just a dirty cop instead of the yeah. honorable Renee Montoya that we know from a uh, animated series. Animated well, it series. was it was funny on the Gotham series they had Renee Montoya and Christmas Atticus uh, from the yeah. the comics, like in the first two episodes, and then boom, gone. Yeah, they got. Yeah, they did did nothing with them. Never to be seen again because they couldn't figure out anything to do with them. Yeah. That said, Gotham did get better, so I mean... Oh yeah, Gotham is great now. (laughs) Here's the full-on flashback of the wife. Well, he certainly gets this guy. Damn. Mm -hmm. Oof. But so... So now we have... Considering the scenarios that are at hand, in... In the version where Sammy Jenkins is a fraud, there's only one guy? No. Right? No, the the, the police deemed it one guy, and he swore up and down there were two. Oh, right, yeah, okay. no so there's always, there's always two guys, then. There's always two guys, because Teddy was the one who believed him, and okay. they actually did find the second guy. Okay, but so once two they guys found the both... second guy, nothing mm-hmm. happened to him, and he kept thinking he still had to find this guy. Yeah. And okay. So there's that, there's two guys in both scenarios. Yes. Because that's how that's yeah, how he, he well, and Teddy's that's how clearly he somebody died. Because yeah. yeah, there has to be a body because we're seeing a flashback mm-hmm. of somebody with a body. Yeah. So. In his version, though, I mean, again, unreliable narrator. He's the only For one sure. who thinks there were two people there. Well, no, but Teddy confirms it. But don't believe his lies. Assuming Teddy's not <laughs> lying. But Teddy right. seems to be the only person telling the truth. Like he, even though he weasels yeah. and tries to position Leonard to get to certain places, he's always honest, and he does at times stop and tell him what's really going on. Because we're not supposed to believe the the movie's structured so that we we're not supposed to believe Teddy. We're supposed to trust Natalie, but it flip flops as we see things progress. Well, yeah, when you cast. Uh great picture leonard when you when you cast joe pants as one guy right. and like the you know the the heroine of the matrix as the other you kind of want to believe one thing <laughs> and think <Right>. the other <laughs> yeah exactly but that's how that's how it's 
played to work, and Leonard were supposed to, you know, we were behind him, but... Well, Leonard, like I said, he's Fred McMurray. He's like, he's unknowingly brought into things. And maybe he has some kind of an edge to him because he's trying to get revenge in this scenario. But, like, you essentially want to think he's under control at all this. And this is where, you know, we put together that he's Sammy Jenkins. It, start, it's, it slowly gives you cuts. And that's a lot of what Nolan does in his early films, right? He does a lot of insert shots to kind yeah. of get you into things. I guess all of his, or a lot of his films. Like Prestige has a, Prestige has it a lot, yeah. I'm rewatching on, on and I rewatching all these right now, and I've, I've gotten to, we've gotten to, uh, <laughs> to Insomnia. We're gonna watch Prestige and Inception. Uh, we're watching all the non-Batman movies because I've seen yeah. Batman plenty of times, but <laughs> and they're long, so it's gonna take time. But they're fun. That was always creepy. Oh yeah, they're the, fun. Yeah. No, like whose hand is that? And it's so funny. Like who did you think it was gonna be the first time you saw it? Like, who's this mysterious person? It's like, oh, it's it's Teddy. Yeah, I, I didn't expect it to be Teddy. Teddy. Like, it makes sense when you think about it. It's just like, it yeah, does, there but is the whole movie, of... you're like, who's this person going to be? Who is this person going to be? And then... Here's another scene that just makes you feel bad the whole time when Lenny's drinking spit. Yeah. I haven't spit like mucus. Like they're like they're going for it. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, yeah which does not make me feel good when I talk about it. You think it was method acting? Oh yeah, <laughs> he's actually drinking stuff. Guy Pierce is like, no, no, no yeah, please, yeah. Please spit in there. No, no, I need real. Yeah, I he's need very real cockney spit. when he does I'll, these takes. I want a loogie. <laughs> he's very cocky when he, just like in the King's speech. <laughs> oh, he is in the King's speech. Yeah, <laughs> he's, 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 he's the, the best picture winner. Doesn't want to be the king. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, no one is like, we got it in one Pierce. It's 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 fine. He's like, no, let's do 17 more takes. I can get I this. I want it from different angles, Chris. <laughs> get the coverage. Where's Wally? Wally. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Meanwhile, right, I think we got it. Wally's working what do you on mean, uh, a saliva it... carry. If you notice too, the scratches on his face get a little bit wetter and fresher. Yeah, too. It's... Mm-hmm. I can't imagine them not shooting this in sequence. By the way, oh yeah, like the phone stuff they probably shot last, but like the rest of this movie they probably shot in sequence, like as in chronologically. <laughs> And I like, like, again, with Lenny, you know, trying to kind of bluff his way through knowing everybody, here's where it doesn't work. <laughs> it's like he yeah. hasn't met Natalie before, but he tries to do it. He's like, we know each other, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're old pals. And I was like, I don't know you. <laughs> the fuck are you? You're the memory guy? Okay, whatever. <laughs> You're a memory guy. It's on after uh, Pants and Pierce. Yeah, memory Jimmy guy. <laughs> memory guy. This is a great lineup of TGIF, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what this, this plot does, too, is... Uh... It shows how much him and Teddy have stretched the whole John G thing because it's John G or John or James or Jimmy, you know, like they've really, it's all, I mean, it's getting to stretching it thin. So they're like, oh, the next guy, well, his name's uh, Bill Grants, but his middle name's John, you know, because it's not exactly John G. 
and he's how do you, how do you get that how would he get that fact out of a case by the way where he's trying to find this missing second person and he has a key clue that's his name is john g where does that come from because there's so many people it could be john g right. <laughs> that's probably that's possibly a teddy thing that's probably an added clue later because could anytime be. that would make go that to, would make find a john and if you notice sloppily written under the john g would be john or james like the or james is added so james mm-hmm. jimmy jim like they can they can stretch it thin that makes more sense so you just have to think like how long has he been doing this with teddy <laughs> mm-hmm. i think teddy says at the at, when we get to the uh, end slash beginning uh, how like many years ago it was since they actually found the person which is kind of, I mean, it's kind of insane, right? It's, yeah, the weird picture, the weird picture he gives of himself to, uh, gives Leonard of himself is when he, the night they actually killed the guy who, the John. So G. we're told, and that every time he shows it to him, it doesn't spark anything. So Teddy knows it's okay to go ahead with whatever mm-hmm. person they're gonna set up. I'm also always weirded out by that picture because it's, it's he's creepy, like so right? yeah he's so gleefully happy it's like that doesn't seem like Leonard like that's that's a weird picture like there it is right there like that's he a, got the tattoo with the John G yeah, but he's happy that he got the guy but what's but he remembers I it. mean yeah it's a creepy picture to look at because like yeah. he's like really glaring is like the ash in the dark with his shirt off mm-hmm. like yeah right there's a lot of. I mean, we went. I mentioned double indemnity. There's a lot of like M and a lot of like again like Lang noir yeah. in this, where there's an element of horror, and even like these hotel scenes, you get the kind of. I mean, Lang was going for German expressionism in his film, so I mean, you know, you get some hints of that. Like you keep, you can see the influences coming out in, in some of this, the way well, it's constructed. Also, something I forgot about: uh, Georgia Fox and Sammy Jenkins' wife have similar haircuts as well, and dress mm-hmm. a little bit similar. Yeah. Very true. Okay, so this is the scene where he's mm-hmm. given to the insulin. Again, this is Quick. heartbreaking to me. Like, it's and there's so... the, yeah. the scene where I think Sammy Jenkins is in the facility, and he walked by, and there's a quick flash of Guy Pierce. Yeah. There's a quick shot of Guy Pierce. Yeah, yeah. they played him in there. Which that, more than anything, I think, kind of secures the idea that he that he's the real Sammy Jenkins in this mm-hmm. scenario, because it's not someone being it's not him being told this. It's the movie giving you some kind of hint, like visual hint. So there's no one to disbelieve except the film itself, which you can still disbelieve. I mean, there's no reason not to. The movie's, mm-hmm. pl- the movie's fucking with the entire time, so it makes sense. But still... God, this is. I mean, it's just it's it's heartbreaking to see like what she's putting yeah. herself through. But then you watch and... Toblaski, and there's like, is he just so stuck in this lie that he's just got to keep himself to it, and he's doing whatever? You know, it's weird. It's. I don't. I don't just. I don't think of it that way. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I mean, I, like, watch yeah, Toblowski, and there's there's a little there's a faint hint of maybe he realizes it's strange. Especially, yeah, especially like right there, one. right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like uh, how many of these till I have to actually stop and say I give yeah, up. I'm or just do saying. I... No, but the, but that but that but that points to what I was saying about uh, Guy Pierce and his performance, where he has to bluff his way through, and that's what he right. says at the end of this whole thing. That's why he couldn't figure out Sammy because he didn't realize until he had the condition himself. That that's how you kind of go along with your life. You have to you have to fake it, yeah. which is what he's what Sammy in the way at least I'm interpreting is that's what Sammy's doing. He's he does have this in the or at least this kind of this vision of Sammy, uh, which is a, you know may or may not be actually Guy Pierce. 
he has this thing like he has this thing where and he's and he has to make it work for him and the best way he can do it is lying is that he can, not lying about the condition but lying about having a sense of awareness of what's going on around him which you see throughout this movie as every time he kind of reconnects with teddy or so when he's like oh yeah fair we're friends why not like that's what he's doing yeah see my it's... thing is like i think honestly like the that sammy jacobs scene is you know genuine that he Mm-hmm. really didn't know but i think nolan puts it in there a little moment of of hesitation just just for the fact that you could question it with tablaski his face on that third one he kind of looks like eh, didn't we just do this but but maybe there. some of these memories are subconsciously still there it's just not drumming up to the front of his brain to where, the yeah there it is right there there. It, oh. yeah Plus that feeling of like, you know, acting like, you know, I mean, we've all had that thing where we meet someone at a party we recognize or we, we can't quite place their name, you know, and we kind of act like we do, you know what I mean? Yeah. We can all, mm-hmm. we, it, it's another way to tie the viewer into that kind of disorientation that Leonard's feeling, you know. Right. I don't with... know who the fourth person on this podcast is. He just kind of showed up. Right. I'm just going that. along with it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, do you think he gets discounts for all these tattoos that he gets? <laughs> well, he goes to different towns. So oh, that's he, right. Unless yeah, it, if, 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 himself. But if, if, if it's if how it's does a he chain, know to go it, to the same place? If it's a chain tattoo parlor, though, he might have a discount card or something like a frequent folk buyer's card. Uh, yeah. Why would they yeah. even? Why would they even stamp? He's probably forgotten he brought it by the time he. <laughs> well, he, he conditioned himself, Brandon. I mean, he he, he gets it. <laughs> would you like our 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 club like seven tattoos and the eighth is free? Oh, look, you get your first stamp. He's got all these cards with one stamp. <laughs> we can ask to consolidate them at one point. She's a great tattoo artist, by the way. She's doing that freehand. Mm-hmm. That's right. It. No tracing. Yeah. So at this point... Pants is like just, or Lenny just killed a guy. We need to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Like that's 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 the that's the that's the emotional state he's in right now, which is like neat because it kind of subsides over the rest of the film. He becomes he's not exactly comfortable with everything going on, but it's like, well, Lenny doesn't seem to be going anywhere, so I guess I got to kind of stick around with this for a while. Mm. And here. Teddy is is so incredibly self deprecating. <laughs> like he just like he'll talk about just like this crazy guy calls you and all this stuff. <laughs> hmm. And if you play so, Brand, if you watch this for, I mean, you watch this forward, we watch this yeah. forward, watching it forward. This is a lot of exposition. Like yeah. this is like if watching this initially, this is like this is like twenty minutes into the movie, and Joe Pants has to step in and just like say a bunch of stuff to Leonard. Like that's what this scene is. <laughs> That we just watched. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That we already know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Nolan wrote it this way. Yeah, he because he, he said he wanted to. He he saw it as he would want an audience member to see it. Yes, and J- Jonathan Nolan had it. The you know the regular and and Jonathan Nolan's um, memento version, mori memento mori. Um, it's all told from the perspective of a guy that's in the mental institution. His name is Earl, I believe, and um, which is on this DVD, this Blu-ray. Actually, you can read the the short story on the Blu-ray. Um, 
and it's yeah, it's told from his perspective and it's told linearly. Nolan was the one. Yeah, Nolan was like, when I write the screenplay, it's going to be backwards because <laughs> that's right. what I do. <laughs> then when he made Insomnia, he's like, well, it's not going to be backwards because Pacino doesn't get it. But with Batman, <laughs> I'm gonna, but with Batman, I'm going to make things still kind of screwy, and I'm going to go for it. And then Prestige, I'm going to do it again, sort of, in another weird way. We're having I have two different perspectives going on at the same time in different time frames. And then Dark Knight is like, fuck it, I'll just go straight the whole time. It's just like, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make you think he's going to save somebody, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell I'll tell Dent one, or I'll tell Batman one thing about Dent and another thing about uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. <laughs> and then that Inception, Inception is, screw it. I'm yeah, just gonna. I'm not gonna tell. I'm just, I'm just gonna bend things over backwards. Does this mean that uh, we can expect that Dunkirk is gonna be in uh, reverse chronological order? It's three stories told, <laughs> like right. So there's a chance. Yeah, there's multiple stories going on. Yeah, but also I hear it's it's shot entirely in reverse, like the commercial for that video game Dead Rising or uh, Dead uh, uh, Dead Island. Yeah, yeah. Right, it starts <laughs> with a giant explosion and it ends at a plant where they're making giant bombs to go on. Yeah, one woman shows up just laughing. By the way, that that commercial for Dead Rising or uh, Dead Island, Dead Island. That was a sad commercial. It was a sad commercial. Too bad the game was nothing like it. I, I, <laughs> no, no doubt. <laughs> I was like, wait, there's no emotion in this game. Here we go. I like, man, he's Lenny's Lenny's regular guy costume is not as intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> no. He wears flannel and a vest. Like, it's that's his thing. It just feels like, ins- I mean, it's a good job because he feels drastically different. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't even seem like the same guy that we've been watching the whole movie. And, I, you know, that exposition scene about the cop and stuff plays well here because you're like, well, who's that person going to be? It's like, oh, of course. Yeah. It's just so funny, like, you know, the hotel manager, we, like, we know him, but he's, you know, quiet and behind the desk at this point. Like, oh, is that going to talk to him? He's too busy rolling his own cigarettes. And now you get why the picture's like weird. It's because he like moves so like the sun's kind of in his eyes and he's squinting. It's like a weird picture he goes right. for. <laughs> and he stands in front of the truck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm that's a nice one. That's what you tell people when you're revealing <laughs> yourself to them. That's a nice riff. <laughs> nice picture. <laughs> Look, Finn. <laughs> Such a Hollywood thing to say. Make a beg. <laughs> go, go kill this drug dealer. Like a dog. Beg. Uh-huh. Beg. Or is like, who's that from? Uh, Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. That's Tom Wilkinson. Yeah. That was a good. That's a good. Uh, that was a good scene. I like how iconic these lines are in these Nolan movies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I like how unnecessary that is for Falcone at that point, too, where he's like, he's already got Bruce Wayne everywhere he needs him, and he's like, I'm just going to add this well, stuff. Well, he, he's already, like, him. had him roughed up by his guys, too, and yeah. like, pointed a gun right. at him. And then he's, he's about to like, leave, and then he has to insult him one last time. It's like the equivalent of, like, he's already, like, kicked him out of Gotham City, and he just calls him on a random payphone. It's like, by the way, your dad begged, like a dog, hangs up, like, <laughs>, laughs to his other henchmen. I totally, I totally... He's like, begged. 
like, <laughs> hangs up like a huge laugh from all the bad bad, bad guys around Falcon. I just made him. I just that is crushed Bruce Wayne again, yeah. <laughs> guys. Although I, what's great about that scene is that they do shift to the other people in the bar, and everyone's just quiet because they're like, "Oh man, this guy's this guy's messing with Bruce Wayne." Mm-hmm. We're gonna meet Jimmy. Yeah, it's coming. Jimmy Grant is in a familiar car. Jimmy G. That car's dirty because he's been driving through the dusty. Nice suit. Think I'll take it. I like seeing the suit if with a person that like fills it out the whole way, like it's supposed to be worn. Mm, that's a good point. That's a the guy that got to play Jimmy. He does look like a sleazebag. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like a good guy. <laughs> they cast a good guy to play like a guy that doesn't look like the good news. That handlebar mustache. Well, he, he like, but he doesn't look like a tough guy either. He kind of looks like a no. He looks like a wound yeah. up where he is. Yeah, he looks like a cad. Yeah. He's the word retard a lot. He you know, he must love Natalie because she's she uh, used the word retard a bunch when trying to piss off. But uh, she says freak a lot. Yeah. And Joe Pant says freak too uh, at the beginning slash end of the movie. Which actually fun story about that. I read this in the trivia. Um, Joe Pants when he's saying like you think you know who you are you freak. Uh, um, when he says you freak, that's actually Nolan's voice. Because oh. it didn't kind of sound the way he wanted it to or whatnot, so he re-recorded it, did a Joe Pants impression, and said, you freak. And so that's Nolan's voice at the beginning of the movie when he says that. I like that, that Lenny line when he's like, I don't want to get blood on him. That's creepy. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to kill right. you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least it's practical about it. I just love the the line before uh, you know when Carrie Amos is like, even if you had vengeance, you wouldn't remember it. You know, yeah. and this is like the vengeance by proxy, and he doesn't. <laughs> you know, dude, he just killed the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love the lights lighting in this scene too. I was about to say the exact same thing, Jim. Like the yeah, it's great. Yeah, really well thought. Wally Fister really earned his check on this one. For sure. Insomnia is great, too. Guy. I, I, cause I, as I said, Anna and I have been watching the movies, and Insomnia, I haven't watched it in a while, but it's such a great looking, like the use of, uh, it's a lot of British Columbia and Alaska, the use of those environments is great. That's a great transition, the color right there. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that. Uh, but Insomnia is a great, like, it's another, like, Wally Fister, like, really goes to town with what Nolan's vision is for that. You have those great scenes in, like, the fog and that log chase, which oh, yeah. made that. If yeah. Nolan made that today, that would have been an IMAX scene, no question. But um, the use of, like, again, it's another, like, neo-noir, but it's, like, completely in color, and it's in, mostly in daytime. It's all, it's Insomnia, it's all daytime, right. which which is a great inversion of the of the genre. A lot of the good really uses cool. of, uh, of browns and grays and, like, the water in that, uh, too. Just very, it's a movie that, I, I saw, I've seen it recently again, too, and it's very, uh, very, um, like, cognizant of its environment. You know, that movie yeah. really, really makes the most of that location. Mm-hmm. We have to... You know, like Nolan has become proponent for like you know putting things at seventy millimeter. He's been a big IMAX. Like he could be one of the reasons why there's been a surge in IMAX where there, it was always a, it was always a thing before, but now like well, IMAX yeah. releases are a very big deal, and I think he's partially to give credit for. 
Well, for sure. I mean, Dark Knight is. I mean, that was the first yeah. one to like put those IMAX scenes in there, and they're like, "Wait, we could do this!" And the like, directors <laughs> started going for it. Well, he had the I, he'd have the IMAX previews too, yeah, for, for his for Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, and uh, and um, Interstellar. Uh, yeah, uh, no, um, um, Dunkirk. And uh, yeah, Dunkirk too. Yeah, so which was all in IMAX. <laughs> he shot the whole thing in IMAX. Yeah. Which now, when you hear that, now it makes sense that the movie's only like an hour and forty right. minutes. It's like, well, yeah, if it's shot all in IMAX, can't make a three-hour movie all in IMAX, or can he, guys? Or can he? I like how this is like one really. This is like the longest sequence, and I, I, I can't quite. I mean, there's. It seems like there's maybe a moment where Lenny. He loses track, but it's the it's the only time where it doesn't edit away from it. So you're like, but at the same time, he also is kind of in control the whole time here. Mm-hmm. And once again, this is another scene where playing it forward. It's just a lot of Joe Pants delivering exposition, but it's good. Right. <laughs> And that's really, I mean, the movie's, this is the third act of the movie, you know, here, mm-hmm. and this is a this is a big pivotal point in it, and so it has to function as, like, a plot twist, even though this is backwards. That's crazy that this works as effectively as it does. And still works when you reverse it and put it in order. I yeah. was gonna, I was gonna ask if it, if it played as well in order, you know, because I've never seen it that way, I know you can I mean, it, so. the movie's better this way, but it still works as a movie, <laughs> I, I think it it mainly works because you know the movie already. Yeah. Like, like I think I, I don't I, I have no idea what the reaction would be if you watch this the first time forwards. Yeah. Like you'd probably appreciate it for, you know, the idea and the acting, but I mean, it, I think it, it obviously I mean it's made this way on purpose. It loses something in the translation, but. But you just get like a well-shot crime drama that has no real surprise because <laughs> you know what's going on. Bum, bum, bum. Here we go. Oh, projection. And like a, because of the style of this movie, the way it's shot, you don't need some kind of the twist doesn't need to be an epic reveal. It just needs to be Joe Pants directly telling him dialogue. <laughs> And I love how they go back to the scene where he pinched her and add the insulin. Mm-hmm. Well, they repeat it twice. Yeah. So it's like you don't you're like you don't know what to believe, unless you've watched this movie, you know, twenty times and are like <laughs> us and can pretty much interpret exactly what it's trying to do. But... Has, has anyone thought of interpreting it as the the narrative of this movie is um, Leonard getting his memory back and overcoming all this? And that's why it's backwards and kind of forwards, and it comes together in the end. Uh, I never considered it that way. I, I, like yeah, I, I'm just wondering if someone could. I could see someone taking it that way. Is that oh, well, if you look at the grand scheme of things, this is you're you're following him through his head, gaining back memory. I mean, the the way this movie functions, you're certainly seeing him, you know, break his cycle by purposely setting it up so Teddy's the one that gets the bullet in the head. Right. But at the same time, yeah, with the, you know, we don't know what happens afterwards as far as if Natalie's still involved or, you know, he becomes a superhero like I suggest or what have you. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, it 
Well, the movie's we'll telling find this out was... in the Legacy sequel, Memento. <laughs> <laughs> X Memory Mountain United. Yes. Hmm. But I mean, yeah, the I mean, we're seeing this particular part of Lenny's life because this is the one where he breaks the the, the Teddy chain. Mm-hmm. So even if he's not gaining his memory back, I mean, you could take it as he's at least escaped this kind of purgatory he set himself in, which begins with him stuck in a hotel room and ends with him murdering the person that's putting him through all this, since he's the one that's caused this chain to keep happening. How many how many times do you think they've had this conversation? Or how many times maybe he's used them this way to get other people taken out of the way? You know what I mean? Like, well, I, fig- I figure this isn't the first one they've done. Right, exactly. It's just like a blunt instrument that he's used to, like, you know, do his dirty work. I mean, oh, yeah, more, than a, he, more than a couple. He mentions yeah. that he gave him the complete police file, and we had seen the police file with blacked out things, missing yeah, pages yeah. and stuff, and, and he mentions that, hey, you've done this to yourself. You, it's complete when I gave it to you. Which I can believe also. I mean, I think there is a part, I mean, uh, well, again, we're based off how we've discussed this, we should be believing everything that Joe Pant says, um, even if it's coming across in a sleazy way. So it is It is also, which is why I don't think he's getting his memory back necessarily, because it's, it's Lenny, his lack of satisfaction is causing him to want to keep repeating the cycle over and over again, which is, why the film, even though, even if he doesn't get his memory back, there is a sense of optimism, I guess, just because he, even though it's a dark kind of resolve, he is trying to actively break the chain of him doing this over and over again. I love how he sticks the gun in his neck and just Joe Pants is like nonchalant, just, like, all right, yeah. dude. Stop. Well, what's great about that, the, like, the music swells as well, and then it just cuts. Yeah. Oh, we haven't talked about the music at all, by the way. David Julian's oh, yeah. score, he did this following Insomnia and The Prestige. <laughs> And he's great with the synthesizers, guys. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's pulling this up. By the, the way, this is... The city sees later on the truck. Yep. This is great, like, um, Teddy stuff in the background because he just threw his keys into the thing. Right. And now Lenny's about to give himself, like, a 10-minute monologue of, like, why he's doing this. And Teddy just has to kind of stand in the back and kind of, like, look for his keys. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> like, it's just business he has to do, but he's really good at it. I mean, it stinks when you lose your keys, though. But, it does, but it's like, Lenny's just sitting in the car. He's like, hmm, what should I be doing? He's just sitting there, and, like, Teddy the entire time is just like, is it in the plants? I don't know. He's just looking for his keys on there. I mean, it's great. It's, t- Teddy just revealed to him that, you know, hey, I'm a John G. So now he's like, you know what? If I put this on there, I'm going to end up finding out he's a John G. Some At some point. That's why I'm not sure if he's had this exact conversation before, because it's like the result of this conversation is, well, you just told me that you're an asshole to me by making me do this over and over again, so I'm going to make it so you're the asshole I have to kill at the end. Right. So I may have done it a couple times in the past, but I don't think the kind of... I, I think Teddy, if anything, has gotten cocky at this point, where it's like, well, we've been making money on the side throughout this thing. It's working out pretty well, so he just kind of loses control of... You're doing all my killing for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Do I lie to myself to be happy? In this case, yeah. Yes. And the music yep. swells. But yeah, there's a lot... I mean, I've talked about other noirish stuff, but something like Blade Runner comes to mind when I think about this score. Oh, yeah. 
it's very has a moody has that again it has that 80 synth going which so nolan's a big blade runner fan and i mean that's what they modeled batman begins as batman begins aesthetic and feel yeah, off the narrows of the yeah narrows of course looks like downtown la yeah. and blade I, runner. I think like before that movie he showed the cast and crew Blade Runner said, okay, we're doing this with Batman. And then I think with Dark Knight, he showed them all heat. And was like, okay, we're doing this with heat. Dark Knight Rises was probably The World Is Not Enough. I said, okay, we're doing it. <laughs> the World Is Not Enough. And um, oh, what's the other one? Um, oh, what's the other movie? Uh, Scott references all the time, too. With, uh, oh, Rocky Three. <laughs> Rocky mm. Three. <III. laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, so as we've been talking about all the kind of possibilities as to what actually happened with Lenny and his wife and everything, I mean, a whole big part of this is the the idea of conditioning, where if you oh oh we just talked that, that scene too sorry pause uh, there's the tattoo on Lenny's chest mm-hmm. that says I've done it which is really alive. confusing really confusing because yeah his wife's still alive and so is he is he imagining that or was there a scenario where he did kill John G and his wife is still alive and then he had that tattoo removed because of the memory thing. There's a lot of ways to take that scene, which get me. All the yeah, time. and it's right before the end where we're like, wait, we have a whole another thing to talk about here, or mm-hmm. way to look at. Uh, fun things: this movie and American Psycho end with the same end credit song. Hmm. And that's another movie that's pretty fucking trippy. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a really good movie too. It's kind of like um... same year. I mean. So... Do you love American Psycho? Mm-hmm. What was the uh there's a Ben Stiller movie and Jersey Girl ended on the same song too. Like two years later. Can't remember. Which Ben because St- uh, I know it's It's the one it's, with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh Along Jeff came Polly. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, when My Love opens the door. Yep. Is this, this thing. Yeah, yeah. Um but um Let's see. Oh, I was saying that. It's about the songs. Uh, Nolan wanted to use Paranoid Android by Radiohead, but he couldn't oh. get the rights, so it was too expensive, which makes sense. So guess what this podcast is ending with, guys? But, um... So, so <laughs> synthesizer music. Or... Don't you mean what this podcast is beginning with? Yes. Whoa, that's deep. I got a little meta on you there. Yeah. What was I saying? Why did I pause? I paused with the, the tattoo thing. What was I saying before? Oh, no. <laughs> That's going to bug me. <laughs> You'll remember it tomorrow. I know. That's what's going to really bug me. Because <laughs> I can't say it. Or when you listen to this podcast in chronological order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was I saying, though? Okay, whatever. Because <laughs> you got that tattoo that says I did it on there. It's like, why is that there? Anyway. That was a memento. What's uh, your guys' favorite Nolan movie? I, I, I go between this and Inception, probably. And Well, this Inception, Dark Knight are probably the top three for Nolan for me. Even though I love Batman Begins a lot, too. Yeah. I, mm. I, I'm Memento Dark Knight. I mean, and Memento yeah. probably gets the edge overall, but you know, I know Batman, so it's hard to. <laughs> so it's right. actually it's kind of kind of a tie. But yeah, Inception certainly very high for me. Batman Begins, I've watched a lot. I um, feel like I'd say this: we're in such a different uh, world of film now that where if something like 
Memento, or not Memento, but um, Inception came out like 10 years earlier even, it would still be in a huge conversation about things today. Like, I feel like because we have blockbusters all the time, that one just kind of, it came out, it did get discussed for a while, but it's just kind of like, well, on to the next thing, which that's a movie that could be like analyzed, looked at, just crazy good stuff going on. But in today's climate, it was just, you know, that one of the cool blockbusters from that year. Because I think there's a lot going on with Inception, which I'm like, I, I feel like it's, you know, because people talk about, you know, Blade Runner, the thing for years, stuff like that. But Memento or Inception, or maybe people just didn't like Inception as much as I did. I don't know. <laughs> it, made, it, it made 800, it made like 800 million yeah, worldwide. Yeah, yeah, like that's, Inception. What I mean. that's what I mean. Yeah, it made a lot of money, but I feel like. Based on nothing. Like, yeah. Because like Di- DiCaprio just, plus Nolan made just like, just was, ducats of money. I was just going to say that there was a really high concept and high budget and uh, uh, high level uh, production based on, a you know, an original screenplay, an original IP, you know. What like before. what like five Oscars like yeah. it did its job? Yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. no, I'm not saying it wasn't appreciated at the time. I just feel like its legacy just in this day and age, there's just so much that comes out all the time that staying power for a conversation about a film is hard to achieve. I mean, I think I I, I understand what you're saying. I think if people wanted to get into a discussion about Inception, they would. It's just you know, it's not a it's not a franchise, so it's not like you're constantly reminded of it. But I don't think anyone's not appreciated. You know, at least the no, fans. I'm not. I'm not saying people aren't appreciated. I just it's just the the way the film culture is now compared sure. to what it yeah. used to be. Well, I get that. I mean, there wasn't a superhero movie coming out every three months. Right. Inception came out, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd have to say Inception, Dark Knight, and I like Dark Knight Rises a lot more than most people do. Yeah, I mean, me too. I realize there are a few, you know, you know, clunky things here and there in the script, but like, I, 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 that's a solid film, you know, in my my estimation, anyway. So we've set the bar too high when people can call that a crappy movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that's, that's an interesting take on things. My list is uh, definitely Memento. I do like Batman Begins just for its humor and and like it's it's uh I guess innovative approach to batman dark knight and for jim you mentioned interstellar earlier on the show but um the ideas behind it i've grown to be i've grown to love more like the idea of like him in the tesseract and the fifth dimension and right. whatever else even though I, it's like I, it's quite a long movie but i love the ideas in it and think, again on on sampling it's just like wow i i really enjoy this much much more i think most, most of my I think most of my issues were with interstellar were the length to be honest, yeah. like, well, I, like, I like the ideas he played with. And I like some of the stuff that went on in there. I just thought it went on a little long. That's I it. love that I now have the in-between film of like 2001 and uh, Solaris. Like that one just kind of <laughs> grabs at both what both of those are doing, <laughs> and, and gives us more commercial look. None of us mentioned Prestige, by the way. Prestige is very good too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, when you look at his filmography, he's he's got a a really great track record. So there, there's not a bad film there for me. Yeah, so I mean, it's, I you know, it's all it, they're all mixes of one and twos. So I mean, they're all pretty tied. So again, I don't think that he's make he's he's not turning movies out um, just to make movies. He, he takes his time to to craft things. Yeah. Although he's I do, high... he hasn't really worked with his brother Jonathan in I think the last couple movies. No, he worked with it on um and, on what's it? Interstellar? Did, wasn't there a little bit? On, that was all. No, I think that was all Chris. No, Interstellar was all was all yeah. Nolan, but um, 
uh, Dark Knight Rises right before. I was, was going to yeah. say, I know I know Jonathan and Christopher Nolan were both here in Pittsburgh filming Dark Knight Rises together. I mean, I don't know if he has like an official... He was here for the filming. I don't know if he had like an official capacity or whatever, but I mean, friends of mine were extras in the movie and saw both of them there. And uh, and Jay Noel has been busy with uh, Westworld and right, uh, yeah. pers- Person of Interest. Like that person was of interest. Right? Yeah, it just so, had its maybe... finale not too long ago. Person of Interest is that the one with uh, Jim Caviezel? Yeah, 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 yeah Jim oh, Caviezel okay. and um, Michael Emerson from Lost. I right. never oh. watched it because it's on CBS and I don't watch CBS, but you know, it's on Netflix. <laughs> maybe I'll get it eventually. All right, guys. Well, with all that said, one, two, three, and let's do this. From Wise So Blue and the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, he doesn't feel drunk. It's Brandon Peters. Yo, where the f- is Dodd? From HHWLOD and Nothing's On, he should be capable of creating his new memories. It's Jim Dietz. Uh, that'll be $40, please. Out now is a film podcast with Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to do special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is something completely different. It's one of our fun commentary episodes. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, the beer's on the house. We are now recording... Oh,